Monday, huh? Good evening. Yes. Let's, uh, everybody on? Yep. Looks like Mickey Mouse is on too, from Disneyland, all the way from Disneyland. Got quite a follower base, huh? (laughs) Even Mickey Mouse. Even Even Mickey Mouse follows us, for sure. Well, it's definitely TGIM. It is, it is. Beautiful to be here tonight. Um, uh, But before we get started, we have two announcements. One is our very own Eileen, who turns four today, Arno's beautiful daughter. That's why he's not here tonight. They're at Disneyland celebrating her birthday. So, happy birthday to Eileen. Happy birthday, Eileen. Happy birthday, happy Eileen. Birthday. We, we wish you the best. Hopefully, you're having a wonderful time, uh, which I'm sure you are, celebrating in Disneyland with Mickey Mouse. And uh, Arno. And Arno. <laughs> um, and also, we have another birthday, actually. it's Today is Maya's fifth birthday, Levik's daughter. Oh, really? Maya-jan, happy birthday to happy you as birthday, well from Maya. the Wise Nuts. Uh, may all the kids have a uh, happy, healthy, healthy birthday. Yeah, years to come, you know. We're asking on hook, right, to have on hook, no stress, no... Yeah, no disease, no nothing. Kind of hard know, to a wish a good that nowadays, <laughs> but you know what? We're gonna do. We're gonna wish so, you all. So the we're best. just getting into that <laughs> with that. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> that was quick, but uh, happy birthday to you guys and um, enjoy your day. Enjoy the rest your your fifth and fourth year on Earth. Or I, technically, it's yeah, it is fourth year, right? Yeah, Eileen's four and uh, Maya. Because in Armenian, when you turn four or five, whatever it is, they're always like, "Well, you're actually you're stepping into four. You just came out of three. I never it's figured like, that shit out. Really. Right. <laughs> so the pregnancy is part of the. <laughs> 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 what does that mean? That you just went into <laughs> four. Upper <laughs> complicated. Uh, two gentlemen, which uh, very patriotic Armenians in, in our community. So I think it's definitely going to be an interesting show. We have Paul Arakalian sitting to the left of me and Ada Manukian sitting to the right of Edgar. Um, and we're going to be having some interesting discussion about Armenia, Artsakh, some of the current events. Um, so they... They do have opposing views for the most part, but I'm sure there's going to be some topics that we're going to agree on. Um, and you guys, as usual, will ask your questions and make your smart-ass comments, and uh, I think it should be an exciting show. Keep the comments towards the topic, guys, please. Let's keep yeah. it civil. Let's keep it comfortable. <laughs> Don't ask me about my menstrual cycles or anything. He's Let's missing his time. last two periods. Yeah. Let's go on. Yeah. And don't forget to share. Share and like the page. Um, and uh, let's get this party started. Let's go. So let's, since not everybody knows you two, we'll start with Paul. If you want to uh, quickly introduce yourself, a, a little bit about your background, and then Ada, you two as well. Well, I'm Paul Arakelian. I was 14 years old when we immigrated to the United States. I've grown most of my life here, 35 years. I'm turning 49 very soon here, next month. Um, I'm married. I have a 
wonderful wife, the same woman for 26 years we've been married. My daughter's 25. She'll be turning 26 in April next year. My son's turning 21 on my birthday next month, November you, you're 13th. Born the same day. Born on the wow. same day. That's yeah, I've a been, gift, bro. Look at that. I've been pretty lucky. So, uh, or I've been good at math. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's like counting back nine months. <laughs> exactly. But um, I've I've been in the my only one and only career has been um, the insurance business, and I've been in that for many many years. I've decided very early on that I want to uh, do something where the entire community, the Armenian community, the diaspora, uh, would have better grasp on this because, um, you know, it's uh, probably one of the smartest ways of transferring wealth to next generations, and we need wealth. So I have done this for many, many years on TV, and um, I've tried to be part of the community as much as I could. Um, and, you know, not just for my business, but uh, I really believe in William Saroyan's words that the diasporan people are just little pieces of ice. Every one of us are going to melt. It's just going to depend on how big the ice piece is. And, um, you know, we're in this ship, all of us together. So if we could help each other and uh, bring our knowledge together uh, for the common cause of making a greater good, um, there's no reason why not. Of course. Definitely. I, I don't know very many people who've stuck to one career one industry for, for well that's really interesting um, I, I hate to talk about myself and success and this and that but I've done really really well in the insurance yeah. industry and there was no reason why and and I have a mindset of uh, you know if I believe in something I'll do it if I don't believe in something no matter how much money somebody offers me or whatever I will never ever budge you know yeah. So there has been other offers, um, you know, let's do this, let's do that, especially when you have um, the capability both financially and mentally to do other things. And I've kind of analyzed in my head that, you know, I, I, I think that I, I want to stay in my industry and be, become the best as the years go. But, you know, you have to learn. It's a learning curve every day because things change so much. We're not in a vacuum. No, nobody's career or industries in a vacuum yeah. it's constantly changing and uh, you know I'm just uh, happy that I stuck to this career you know good good for you Mr. Manukian. so my name is Aram Manukian. I was born in California uh, in 1965 Huntington Memorial Hospital here in Pasadena so not too far from here before the renovations before the renovations it was actually bungalows it was actually <laughs> the, it was when they first built the maternity wing then they changed it in 1987 so i was born when it was opened and i actually have a friend of ours who gave birth to a child when they were closing it so i've seen both sides of the the beginning and the end um i come from a revolutionary family my grandfather was not very well known because the revolutionaries that work in the background that are, you know, pulling the strings and mm -hmm. kind of the puppet masters don't get very well known. But his name was Shahan Natali, and he was my mentor. He passed away when I was 16 years old. Um, and he basically, for my brothers and I, he passed the reins on to us. I was indoctrinated, if you can call it that, and I think that's what it's actually called. Mm -hmm. When I was nine years old, we spent a summer with my grandparents, and he selected his, his uh, shall we say, the person that's going to carry it on, which happened to be me, 
Um, he made that decision on a, a ni- in 1975 on a, a late summer's night. There was an AGBU banquet, and there were four tickets. My grandmother, my aunt, and two others went, and it was my two brothers that went. I stayed behind with him, and that's when the process started. So I've been a revolutionary since the age of nine. Wow. Um, yeah, So, and I'm 56 years old now, so you, you can do the math. Your, your family moved here a long time ago, right? Well, my mother, uh, my grandfather, actually, he came in 1904. He fled Turkey, or the Ottoman Empire. It was actually um, an Armenian territory, internationally recognized as an Armenian territory. He was in the village of Husenik. And in 1895, his father was killed in the Hamidian massacres. So he buried his father with his bare hands, and he took an oath on his father's grave. He declared himself an orphan, though he had a mother and he had four sisters. Declared himself an orphan, and he was sent to an orphanage in Bolis, or uh, Constantinople. Mm -hmm. And he went at the age of 11, and he found a... Um, a rug merchant named Mahdesian in New York to adopt him and pay for his tuition at the Berberian Academy, which was a very famous and place where people went to really get an education. And he became actually the tutor for Berberian's children. And one of them uh, was named Shahan, and he took that name. So he his name before that was Hagopdad Hagopian. And what he's most famous for is when the Armenian massacres took place in between 1915 and 1919, um, or 1918, the war ended and the Turkish courts had prosecuted uh, the war criminals. And the war criminals were, were uh, being held in Malta by the British. And the British uh, allowed them to escape. And they went to Berlin and they were regrouping to return to power. And so my grandfather who at that time was a member of the Armenian Revolutionary Federation, came up with a proposal, which he presented at the Ninth General Assembly in Yerevan in 1919, in, in October of 1919, and he was turned down. They basically said, we don't do that kind of stuff. We're a legitimate government now, so on and so forth. So he handed in his resignation after that. They wouldn't accept it, but he returned to America, and he organized uh, basically a hit squad. And he... Um, he was able to get the cooperation of two other ARF members who were also disenfranchised with the organization and them not wanting to do that. And the reason why they didn't want to do that was they were actually making negotiations with the Turks for them to also stay in power and so on. So it was the, And it wasn't just the Armenians and Turks. It was the whole world, basically, that was bringing Talat back. So my grandfather hunted down Talat. They brought in Sohomon Telirian. You've probably heard of Sohomon. Mm-hmm. They brought in Soho Montelirian, who was the hitman, and he was a professional. Um, he had already proven himself to be a, 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 a worthy hitman, had killed a guy named Mugardic, who was Harutunyan, who had actually provided Talat, or the police chief, Bedik, I think his name was, to Talat, of the Armenians who were gathered up on April 24th and were executed, all the intellectuals. So Soho had assassinated him on his own. It wasn't an operation of any kind. He was... That guy was living in comfort in, in the Ottoman Empire. And so Antranik Pasha, General Antranik's niece, her name was Yeranuhi Danelian, she knew Sogomon because Sogomon was one of Antranik's soldiers during the war. And she uh, nominated him for the job, and Shahan accepted, and that's how Sogomon got 
dragged into this, but it was a, a very secret operation that the no organization really knew about except for three people. Solomon came in, and there were three guys. It's in this book that will we mm. that I gift, gifted to you guys, and there were three guys that were ARF members, young guys in Germany, who he recruited, and because the ARF has this code of secrecy, they weren't allowed to talk to anybody about it, and they he convinced them that it was an official operation, which it wasn't. So he got three guys to help them do this thing. And as we know the history, Talat was assassinated. He was executed, and he had already been sentenced to death. And um, from that, we know that there were other assassinations, and he organized all of those, uh, all but Enver Pasha's. Enver Pasha, it's in the book, he never was killed. He actually continued on. There were spottings of Enver in, in Iran. There were after his alleged death. Mm-hmm. And Enver was a sneaky one. It's also in the book. He faked his death a few times before that. So I grew up here, and I, when I became of age, I moved to Armenia. And I, uh, I went there during the earthquake initially, the, the, the earthquake we had in 1987. That was my first visit. 88. 88. I'm sorry, 88. Um, so in 1980, excuse me, and I went actually in 1989. It was October of 89, so it was after the earthquake. Um, and I went on a, with a project my parents were doing of building a library in Stepanavan um, near Spitag. They were building a library. Mm-hmm. So I went on official business as their videographer, and I documented a lot of stuff at that time. And that was right at the end. The fall of communism was coming in, you know, coming and so on. And my, I had an eight millimeter camera, one of the, a video camera, and I had no in my iPhone at the time. Yeah, no iPhone. So I had with me ten cassettes, and in my father's suitcase there were forty more blank cassettes. My father's suitcase with all of his clothes disappeared; it never made it through, and we ended up getting it back in America. So my poor father, through the whole trip. He had one pair of underwears, one pair of pants, and he was washing them every night in the hotel, having to wrap them around a lamp to dry them off. And he even burned his underwear yeah. like there's a brown stuff. Yeah. You guys couldn't buy new ones? Well, I did, actually. What, hap- what ended up happening near the end of the trip was my, uh, my grandfather on my father's side was originally from Dilijan. He was born in Dilijan. And during the Armenian genocide, he left home. He was a, a fedaye. Yeah, and he left home. He was a he was a part of the Tsar's army. He was an officer in the Tsar's army, and he went to Erzurum and then to Van in the defense of Van. So we had we knew that he was from Dilijan, but we didn't know the family. So when I went in 1989, I had a cousin of mine on my mother's side, one of Shahan Natali's grandchildren, and her and her husband took me to Dilijan, and we ended up finding the family there. We also found on the road a store that sold underwear and yeah. stuff. So I got my dad some underwear. That's how he finally, near the end of the trip, he had yeah. you know some other options besides the one <laughs> under, one one undershirt and one un, you know good. one pair of underpants. But um, so I I ended up in 1993. Subsequently, after '89, I took a few trips to Armenia mm-hmm. on different projects, and then in 1993 was the first time. We, flew through Moscow, and we were part of, we were special guests of the government, so Intourist was taking us around, and that was the time when that was the official, um, knew that, but when we were at the airport, we were supposed to go to a certain area for special people, we went up with the common people, and this guy walks up to me, he was a big guy, and I later learned, he was an Azeri, and he was asking me about Artsakh, he was asking me about Karabakh, 
and he said, you know, what do you know about it? And I didn't, I knew what was going on, so I basically said, oh, I heard that it was, you know, they have beautiful houses there and so on, but there was no way for us to go this time, so, and then when my parents started approaching me, he took off, basically, and left us alone. So that was my first trip, but in 93, I actually made it to Artsakh, um, with a group of geologists, and they were going over there to get um, samples of different things, including um, munitions that were captured from the Azeris to bring them back. So that was the that was my first experience in Artsakh during the war, and I saw a lot of stuff. And I had my video camera, the eight millimeter, but now it was a high eight millimeter, and um, documented that. And then the following year, I or a few years later, I actually moved there permanently. So I lived in Artsakh in the Martuni region for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I was dealing with human rights issues with uh, corrupt government officials. And it was not something that I had planned to do when I went there, but it's something that evolved because uh, I saw how my neighbors were living and they weren't living well. And so basically I became the human rights defender in Artsakh at that time. There really wasn't. I mean, I'm sure there was an official one. But I was the go-to person, and I literally took care of hundreds and hundreds of cases. And I knew all the judges and all the ministers and the prime minister. The door was open for me, and the president avoided me as much as possible. Who was the president? He was Grukasian. Was the president at that time? Is that the guy with the sunglasses? He was the one that got his legs shot supposedly during an assassination attempt by Samvel Babayan, or Mm -hmm. even though it wasn't Samvel Babayan. So, um, so since you you've mentioned Artsakh, you living there. Let's talk about uh, as far as what took place in Artsakh last year, the uh, the forty four day war that uh, some people call it genocide, some people call it ethnic cleansing. Um, what? Why is it that it took so long after the first war in in ninety? Or what was eighty? It, it ended in ninety four. Ninety four. It ended ninety four. There was All a ceasefire yeah. that was put in place. So it took about almost thirty years, right, mm-hmm. to for them to attack us. W- w- do you think it had anything to do with the current administration, or Paul? W- what do you think that? Why did they decide to uh, start another war? Well, they had to get prepared uh, in order for them to um, be able to. Uh, win and and uh, basically free their territories as they w- wanted to say, uh, but also um, they had to find the right time to do it and uh, of different governments and things like that and um, obviously Russian government always wants us to be somehow um, hanging from strings that they control. You know they want to be the puppet master and. If you have a country where uh, there is no corruption, there's uh, the the leader of the country is accepted by their entire population, and uh, there is basically no not too many skeletons in the closet that they could expose. And who are you ha- referring? Have to? control over the the leader. I'm I'm referring to the new government. To Pashinyan or Putin? Yeah, no, to Pashinyan. Pashinyan. So uh, Pashinyan's first meeting with Putin, he said. In Russian, he was saying um, the sovereignty of our nations. He was saying that our relationship for the, the um, decades um, and, and our history should be maintained as a new leader. He was v- vouching to uh, you know stand by that. But uh, he said that we also have to respect the sovereignty of our nations. Putin didn't really like that, you know, because um, he, he had complete, complete control 
of uh, our previous leaders. You know, Guik Parki Dimats, like, you know, you give mm-hmm. up uh, so much of, of Armenia to him. Um, that wasn't going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and if there is no corruption and if, if uh, the, uh, there's um, um, democracy, real democracy, where people are not scared of uh, the government, people are not uh, really scared of thugs that they've created uh, to be able to um, basically corrupt uh, elections and things like that, rig elections and whatever, they don't need that. No, none of these other governments and politics, politicians and whatever, really care for you to have a kind of Armenia that's, uh, you know, flourishing, uh, free, flourishing and, and, and is not, uh, you know, doesn't have problems and whatever, because problems and chaos and whatever feeds a lot of these um, uh, governments, you know. So all the interests aligned. But again... Uh, do we sit here and blame everybody else or do we blame ourselves for the problems of course we have to blame ourselves because we have to we have to learn where we failed so we don't keep failing all the time because i was when ara sent me the the book title i was like betrayal brother this is a 2000 year old problem that we have this is not something that happened yesterday or the day before this is something that's been unfortunately becoming part of our genes and unless we get rid of this betrayal factor from our 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 from within yeah from within we're not going to be able to so when you look at the 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 freed armenia after this post-soviet era right well we had a ceasefire but during this uh, right after the ceasefire how did we prepare ourselves knowing that there's no document side there's no united nations uh, documents, uh, you know, giving sovereignty to Artsakh and all that. So we are waiting to have a problem. But if you're waiting to have a war next door and your enemies next door, what do you do? You prepare. Do you build castles? Do you uh, bring uh, expensive, uh, you know, Rolls Royces and Maybachs and whatever, whatever? Do you go buy homes in um, all parts of the world and, and do investments outside? Or do you prepare your country for the expected, not unexpected. It wasn't unexpected. It was expected, very well It was inevitable, of course. Inevitable. So is our problem. Okay, so Azerbaijan aligned with the interests of Russia and the interests of Turkey, um, you know. But where is our problem? Where did we screw up? So you think the the reason why for 20, what, uh, 28 years... No, 26 years they did not attack is because uh, the previous administrations were giving away. Because from my understanding and from some of the comments, Nikol has also given away gold mines and other uh, natural resources to Russia. So what was the difference between Sarksyan and Kocharyan giving away? I don't think there is any gold mines that have been given away in the last three years. You yes, know, the Paul, they did lose some gold mines in Artsakh. In Artsakh, yes, that's part of the the, the uh, territories that we lost. But yes, uh, definitely. But he didn't sell it just like the previous government sold it for billions of dollars. No, but then he didn't do much. I mean, look, even Ara was a big supporter of uh, Nikol Pashinyan when he was he wanted to have that revolution. Uh, no, but, I'm sorry, I was never a supporter of Nikol Pashinyan. If you look at the Pictures, really? yes, really. If you watch the the famous video, I never support Nicole in that. 
I'm calling for a revolution in the diaspora to help that diaspora, not Nicole. I've never, I've been a critic of Nicole Pashinyan since day one. In fact, Nicole Pashinyan, he did not release the political prisoners. We were, we were fighting for the political prisoners since 2016. So Nicole Pashinyan, when he came to power, when you have a revolution, and first of all, we didn't have a revolution. No, that we was had not a, a revolution. We had a change in power. It was, I'm convinced that it was very much orchestrated by somebody else and not by Nicole you need and at not least by Serge. constitutional change. Without a constitutional right. change, there is no revolution. But, but and the, the, yeah. the day, first day he came in, there was no constitutional change. No, there wasn't. Change. And I've and never, and I have to say this again, I've never been a supporter for Nicole Pashinyan. I've been calling for his resignation long before most people called for his resignation. I called for it very early on. If you go over my Facebook page, it's all documented there. But getting to your question about what really happened, first of all, um, if the Azeris could have attacked us in 1995, if they had the where for all to take back, uh, not take back, but to take away from us our liberated territories, they would have done it in 1995, 1996. When I lived there, since, so I lived there on the ground, every year we had something major. And every year we had to have a full deployment of the army, the reserves, they would bring in you know, equipment from Armenia many, many times. This is not something new. This is not something that was just came because there was a change in government. The Azerbaijanis, you, if you recall, oil prices have gone up. Azerbaijan has been selling oil for a while, and they've been arming themselves. And they've been arming themselves in face of a, an arms embargo. So in 1992, in February, the OSCE put in place an arms embargo. And yeah, it's, it was a recommendation more than something really solid. But what it, what it stated was, it was it stated that Azerbaijan and Armenia should not be sold any weapons which can be used in the, in the, um, the field in the Artsakh region, basically, for offensive purposes. And what you really need to do is you really need to look back and see what is, what is the history that led up to this. And the history really starts back in 1917, and we have to go back to that so we understand the foundation of this whole conflict, because that's really when it started. So in 1917, prior to 1917 and prior to the Armenian Genocide, Armenia, the internationally recognized territories of Armenia, went all the way from Giligia, okay? So we're talking about the Mediterranean, we're talking about the Black Sea, and we're also talking all the way to the Caspian, where the oil is. And basically, the oil is where this all started. So in, in 19, um, at the turn of the century, the United States government, Theodore, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was the president at the time, or the vice president, and he sent over a, a rear admiral named Colby M. Chester. And Colby M. Chester went to Constantinople and he was going on this, this voyage all around the region, but he was sent to Constantinople to pay a visit to the sultan. And he pulls up outside the sultan's palace. It's all in the book, by the way. This whole story is in the book, including official historical document. It's all documented. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy that really happened in our history. So Colby M. Chester pulls up with the USS Kentucky. It was the, the newest and greatest battleship. And he pulls up and he turns the cannons onto the palace of where the sultan is, and he disembarked. And while he was there, he started the process of 
uh, cutting a concessions deal, a mineral concessions deal, where one-sixth of the world's accessible oil was found in western Armenia around Lake Van, going all the way up to the Black Sea and all the way down to Mosul. So there was that, it's all oil. And in fact, if you go, um, somebody was telling me, if you go swimming in Lake Van, you come out and you have this sheen on your skin and it's a fine oil. So even the water is oily in Lake Van. And by the way, the, the, the tidal betrayal is not, it was not intended for the Armenians. I know that you're, you're using the word to, to describe that. But the tidal betrayal was the Armenians were given so many promises from Europe, from the U.S., from all these people who wanted the Armenian oil, and they were courting them, but at the same time, they were supporting Armenia's enemies. So who brought Talat Pasha to power? Who brought uh, you know, the young Turks to power and so on and overthrew the sultan? It was New York bankers. And one of the bankers, a very famous banker, and it's in the book, it's all documented again, his name was Jacob H. Schiff. And he's actually related to Adam Schiff, our Congress representative here. And he's the one that not only financed... Oh, shit, that explains a lot. I know, right? So he not only financed the Young Turks, he financed Stalin and the Bolshevik movement. And if you go to Stalin, so Stalin was in Baku. And Stalin actually started his revolution in Baku. So in 1917, Enver Pasha makes his way to Baku, and they create this country called Azerbaijan. And Azerbaijan, for the most part, is founded on internationally recognized Armenian territory, which the Armenian, any Armenian legitimate internationally recognized government has never surrendered their rights to this. So there's a, 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 a thing called conquest. You've probably heard of games. There's like They talk about conquest and so on. Well, conquest is a legal term, and that's when you go and you invade a country, and then at the end you're going to sign some sort of treaty well, Armenia never entered into a legitimate treaty because a treaty, in order for it to go into power, it has to be signed by the representative at the peace talks, and then it has to be ratified by your government. Well, Armenia's never had a chance to ratify any of these things. And in fact, in 1920, the first Armenian government, the first republic that was in for 18 months, they actually signed a treaty, the cre- Treaty of, of uh, Alexandropol, or we know it as Gumri, they signed the treaty with the, um, the Turkish nationalist movement, but they signed it the day after they surrendered their power of Armenia. So they really weren't really a legitimate government, but they kind of were because they were internationally recognized as the Armenian government, but they were never able to get back into power so the Armenian National Assembly could ratify the treaty. And in that treaty, actually, they talk about borders and, and so on and so forth. So the, where we stand right now, and if you, if you recall our... Uh, back in 2000, there was a thing called the Turkish TARC, Turkish Armenian Reconciliation Committee, and it was being sponsored by the State Department, the U.S. State Department, and part of that was going to be uh, proposing kind of a treaty, and the treaty, in a sense, would officially recognize the current borders of Armenia and the current current borders of Turkey and the current borders of Azerbaijan. Well, without that recognition. Everything that the Azeris have taken off of Armenian, Eastern Armenian territories, internationally recognized still, legally speaking, they're still internationally recognized as Armenian territories, even though everyone says, well, it's a sovereign country. It's not. It's yours. So, you know, they say possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, the one-tenth of the law in this case is that treaty or that, uh, that, that 
document, whatever that may be, to be um, ratified by your National Assembly and your government. So at the end of the day, the reason why I believe this is all going on, and this is actually very well documented. I know it's a long read, this book, but if somebody wants to stop wasting their time speculating and they want to actually know what's going on, they'll probably save themselves like thousands of hours of speculation because you'll know what's really going on. And by the way, it's only the first 400 pages is the actual book. The rest of its appendix, which are hard-to-find documents, court transcripts, things of that nature, things that are very relevant that are referenced in the book that you won't find anywhere else. These are from my grandfather's archive that, that I've, my family has inherited, basically. Um, but long story short, what Azerbaijan and Turkey are trying to do now, and you've probably even heard of this, is they're actually talking about acknowledging borders and, like, freezing borders. These are our borders. If Pashinyan signs it and the National Assembly ratifies it, we're screwed. All of this... Then the treaty that wasn't signed back in 19... You said 19 or 20? It was 1920. There's been a number of treaties, but yeah. they've never been either legitimate. So they've either been entered into with representatives of Armenia that were not internationally recognized. So those are null and void. Like there's the Treaty of Moscow. There's the Treaty of Gars. There's the Treaty um, of Versailles. So that one came after the Treaty of... The only treaty that's legitimate... But we didn't even uh, we didn't even ratify it. Was the Treaty of Sers? But what's good about the Treaty of Sers is the Sultan he signed it, and the minute the Sultan, so it's kind of interesting. The Sultan is the ultimate power in the Ottoman Empire at that time, so he didn't have to have anything ratified. Once he signs it, it's done. It's a done deal. But the only thing that the Treaty of Sers did, and it worked actually in our favor, was it acknowledged. Um, it, it reaffirmed that a certain territory did belong to us, and that was what they call Wilson, Wilsonian Armenia. Mm-hmm. Wilsonian Armenia is only a part of it. You still go further west, all the way to Gilikia, down to the, uh, the Mediterranean. We have territory there also. And in fact, in 1920-ish, it was acknowledged that that part of the territory is an Armenian territory under French protection. The French were there for a while. So the reason why the Azerbaijanis are attacking now, with the help of Israel, no less, and Turkey, is because they all have something to gain. First of all, the founders of modern-day Israel, okay, I call it modern-day Israel like they call it modern-day Turkey, mm-hmm. the, the, the founders of, of Israel, they're the, the main players of that is also Jacob H. Schiff. Okay, so here he is. It, it was a big game. Armenia was going to lose one way or the other. Whether we're united or not united, everyone is against us. Okay, so we had the Bolshevik. We go towards the Bolsheviks, but the Bolsheviks were controlled by Jacob H. Schiff, let's say, or whoever is in his group. You go on on the uh, the nationalists, Colby M. Chester, who's a part of Jacob H. Schiff. There's a connection. It's all connected in the book. All the dots are connected. There, it doesn't work for us either. And in the United States, where, the, where Armenians keep going and even today keep going, they never helped us. There's a whole transcript in there. It's 110 pages. It's really worth reading. The Armenians presented their case in 1919, September and October of 1919, and they waited for an answer from the United States for whether they're going to get help from, from, our, from America. And America claims they were waiting for a report that was being done in Armenia to see how much it's going to cost them. The report actually was completed before the trials or the hearings were over, right around the time the hearings were over, 
but they didn't receive their copies until May of the following year. So Armenians sat there, and political correctness is, if you petition a, a government, you don't go and start petitioning other governments. That's like saying, you know, can I borrow your, your car? And I'm waiting for an answer, but then I go ask somebody else for a car, and it's like, well, yeah, you can have my car, but, well, I already got it, so I don't need you. So political correctness is you wait for the answer from the others. So Armenia waited for seven months, and seven months later, they basically came back and said, sorry, we're not going to get involved. And Armenia's ask at that time, bare bare minimum ask was, we want to gather up 40,000 volunteers who had served in World War I, Armenians, and ship them over to Armenia to protect our territory. At that time, we had maybe 40,000, I'm guessing, troops in Armenia for that whole territory, eastern and western Armenia. And we were outgunned, outnumbered. And by the way, the guns that uh, that Mustafa Kemal, the founder of uh, modern-day Turkey, had received from Russia, which was 200,000 Mauser rifles, a lot of gold, and a lot of bullets— were from a deal that Jacob H. Schiff's representative in the Ottoman Empire, his name, he's in there also, his name was James W. Colt. He is the one that did that deal where 200,000 Mauser rifles with bayonets, 400 million bullets were taken to Russia and warehoused there. And they waited for World War I to end. And then Enver Pasha went and got the guns and sent them to Mustafa Kemal, who then started attacking the Armenians and nobody was stopping Mustafa Kemal or anybody. And the only person actually in the U.S. government that ever came forward and suggested Armenia, uh, America needs to engage Turkey to stop this madness was Theodore Roosevelt. And the interesting part about Theodore Roosevelt, so here's Theodore Roosevelt that sends the guy over to get the oil, right, and do this concessions deal that leads to all this garbage. And by the way, World War I, it's also in the book here, World War I was a result of failed con- uh, concessions being made by a concession holder for sulfur in one of the Balkan states. And the, the holder of that concessions was Colby M. Chester. And he wouldn't meet – there's an, actually a newspaper. It's, it seems like your book covers everything in history, huh? It covers everything <laughs> in our history that we don't know yeah. about, that we're ignorant to. Yeah. So the, the reality is and, – and the, the interesting thing about Roosevelt is in 1910 – he was actually visited by James W. Colt, the guy that did the arms deal, and he also did the concessions. The actual, he was part of the, the person that drew up the concessions um, that were eventually entered into by Mustafa Kemal in 1923. He went to Roosevelt's office and offered him a piece of the concessions deal, like a share, mm-hmm. and Roosevelt accepted it and put it in the name of his son Kermit. And his, Kermit was a sickly child, but he received a part of the Chester concessions, which covered the minerals that rightfully belonged to the Armenians that the Americans got from basically the uh, Turkish nationalist movement, Mustafa Kemal. So the reality is, is that this is a continuation of this. This is a continuation. So if we learn this, we know where we're going. Let's go back to the revolution that you said was orchestrated, because there's a lot of people commenting saying, Kind of what Edgar said earlier is, you were wearing Pashinyan's outfit and Dukhov hat, and mm-hmm. what was that all about? Weren't, wasn't that in support? No, that was in. That was to say, we need to do the same thing here, and it's even in the speech. So you're basically trying to 
take the place of Pashinyan in the diaspora, in a sense? In a sense, yes. So, Paul, Paul, you, you seem to think that the revolution was actually an, uh, uh, an organic revolution, but Ara seems to think it was an orchestrated. What, what, what makes you well, confident look, about the fact that it was an actual revolution? Okay, and so not the people were sick of the government for the last 20 years because, um, you know, they, they were denied any kind of uh, rights, ab ability to build businesses because those businesses were shared among a few of the elite corrupted uh, thugs. Yeah. Um, and, and so people were ready to get rid of that government, but nobody was able to do it. So there was uh, Rafi Hovanisian from here, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what did he do? He went, the people started following him. He did um, a hunger strike and whatever. He had support of the people. What did he do? He went start praying with Vova Gasparian. Well, you know, can you, I, I mean, you know, the, probably one of the most corrupted um, people in Armenia at that time, Vova Gasparian. Oh. So, uh, you know, then there was uh, Gagik Tsarukyan. So that guy was wealthy and he could do some things and he had power and money and he whatever. Was, he never wanted power. But he was content he, with having his oligarchy role. But Gagik Tsarukyan was collecting people because he wanted to make a change but then when because he had skeletons in the closet and these guys Many pulled it out in the closet. what did he do he put it on reverse and ran right so who's the guy that came and and brought the people with him to have so a final did you change? see a role of the sasnats red from 2016 leading to what happened to in 2018 yeah and in 2018 I, I personally remember so Nicole getting ready for this revolution. Nicole admittedly, physically got ready 40 days. Don't you think that was not a generic revolution in that sense? There was a lot of backing from outside. I, 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 my personal belief is Nicole so was a continuation walking, of the first three. So all these people, about 500,000 people walking on the streets are just numb nuts and no, somebody no, from the no, outside no, no. There, there are people, the whole thing. There are people that were sick of the... We were all sick Everybody, of... Even in diaspora, we were sick But let me, let me go back to what something Paul said. Paul talked about Rafi Hovhannisyan. So Rafi Hovhannisyan, when he received his 800 plus thousand votes from the people, I also, in support of him, went on a hunger strike. And I went on my hunger strike. It was... 28 days, something like this. And I went all the way to Washington, D.C. I even met with Adam Schiff and so on and so forth, got his lip service. Shit, that was a waste of your time. Yeah, it was. It actually was. Lip uh, service? Lip, a lot of lip service from Adam Schiff. So, Don't elaborate on that. Don't elaborate yeah. on that. <laughs> so, but I also had a meeting with Rafi Hovhannisyan when he came here. And I said, we actually met. We met at a restaurant close to an event that he was going to. And I told him, I said, Rafi, I said, you know, congratulations on becoming elected as president. We had that Parev movement at that time. And we, I, was, I was part of the people that were leading that movement here. So I said, Rafi, here's what you need to do. You need to go back to Armenia. You need to, you have 800,000 people that have voted for you, okay? It was like 850,000 people had voted for Rafi Obanesyan. And we knew that the, the election was fixed. We knew Serge didn't get the votes that he claimed he got and so on. So I told him, you need to go back there. You need to form a national assembly 
you need to have elections, and you need to start running your government using your um, your National Assembly. You need to, you know, open this. You have to have your cabinet of ministers and so on and so forth, and let the people start coming to you. And he said, Ada, you know what will happen if I do that? They'll kill me. That's what Rafi told me. Who is they when they say they? I don't know. He me. never said who they were. But the fact is that at that time, the oligarchs were very powerful. They were powerful. Let me tell there. you they something. Let here. me tell you something that might help you figure out who is they. So when the Soviet uh, republics broke into pieces, right? Azerbaijan kept everything that belonged to their part of to create their own CIA. Aadza, that we call in Armenia, mm -hmm. Azerbaijan kept their files. All the other ones kept their files. Belarus and Armenia, all their files went to Moscow. Till today, Armenia doesn't have its own special for, uh, secret service. I mean, its own CIA. It's ran out of Moscow. So when that portion of your government is ran for, by a different country, you can never have the actual revolution from within it has to be cooked up by that third party, which is Russia, unfortunately. Because this is not the first time or the second time the Russians are doing this. Now, everybody knows I'm pretty much anti-Russian, right? But I'm not anti-Russian to people. I'm anti-Russian when it comes to every time they use Armenia as a stepping stone to get to what they want to get to. And it's been like that, not 100 years, not 200 years. This is going back five, 600 years. And they've been doing the same thing. Now, we need to wake up. If we rely on Europe, if we rely on the U.S., if we rely on China, if we rely on any other country or people, we're just going to keep losing. Don't what, what percentage of our lands are we at right now, Ara? Right. Oh, we're, it's, it's minute compared to what we had. I would say we 8 to 10%. Maybe it, 10 is an overstatement. It's probably around that, what you're saying, because we had over 200,000 square miles of land and or is it 200,000 213,000 square kilometers what and are we we're down, down to? to I don't even know what we're down to anymore but these are all occupied territories and actually in actuality again legally speaking there are treaties there are conventions and there are international laws which no country is really allowed to acknowledge that these lands belong to Azerbaijan and in fact it's their obligation to these treaties and laws that they have to help liberate them. And there was an example of this back in 1990. If you recall, Kuwait was invaded by Iraq, and the United Nations gave the mandate, they gave the, the green light for a force to go in there and forcibly remove Iraq from Kuwait. Interestingly, though, in 1923, when Kuwait was formed, Iraq had never uh, relinquished that land. That was part of Iraq. And all the way up to 1963, though there were little things of, yeah, we're going to tolerate Kuwait, whatever, whatever, they actually, that is an Iraqi territory, just like Armenia has this other territory. And what happened? Iraq basically got the short end of the stick on that deal, and the U.S. backed it. Why? Because there's oil. Because the Americans control basically Kuwait. It's another American little outpost. Yes. So wherever wherever you see oil, wherever you see valuable minerals, you will see the United States presence in the background. It's not and only it's not the just United the United States. States. You're right. There's Europe. It's basically the it's the Rothschilds. It's the the um, 
the Rockefellers, it's all of these very powerful families. They're mafias, basically, and they've been around for over 100 years. And that's where our, our real problem is. And it's not just Armenians anymore. It is actually... What will really what what I'd like to do is I'd like to read you one one thing. This is an introduction to the book that I am going to be publishing. It's a short version of this, and it very specifically covers genocide, and it uses the Armenian genocide then and the recent Armenian genocide. And this was definitely a genocide that we saw take place in Artsakh and happening in Armenia right now under the terms of what a genocide is. The way the, the United or the uh, United Nations uh, defines a genocide. We saw a genocide, uh, yes. I honestly don't. Anything that starts with a U in front of it, forget about it. They've already been bought and paid for. No, no, you don't understand. done. Okay. Oh, you, haven't, you can't trust anybody. Okay. If you want Armenia to survive, we Armenians outside and inside need to get together to save it. There is no other country okay. or Let me- government system that's going to help. They don't exist. I acknowledge your your opinion on this. Let me read this to you because this will really help cut to the chase and it may answer a lot of questions. Okay, so let's do this. How am I going to do this? I'll do it this way. Okay. A contractual obligation for world peace has been signed by 152 nations. To date, not a single country who has entered into this contract has fulfilled their obligation. When the newly formed United Nations adopted the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, which we know is the Genocide Convention, they intended to take the profit out of genocide by punishing the perpetrators and return the loot obtained from this crime to their rightful owners. One has to ask the obvious question. How can it be that 152 nations that have signed into this contract fail to fulfill their obligation? The answer is very simple. In the case of most genocide, the real perpetrators, the ones hiding behind the curtain and not visible to the general public, are those who have the power to manipulate world leaders and their governments. They are the same people who oftentimes bring into power many of the very legislators that are contractually obligated to author bills that will punish those that were instrumental in securing the seat they occupy in government. Who are these powers behind the curtain? Some call them the globalists, deep state, permanent government, cabal, or Illuminati. What is clear is they are real. They are powerful and they are dangerous to the very existence to every living creature found on earth to hit the wrong button here. Sorry about that. Okay. Where were we? Okay. Um, Bear with me. This book will provide beyond a reasonable doubt that there is a power as described above and will do so with well-documented examples of crimes of genocide, the second such genocide carried out in the 20th century. To do this, first I need to introduce myself and what qualifies me. So I, I say who I was and so on. And I refer to betrayal for more um, more information. Not only was my grandfather my mentor, but he bestowed upon us. Okay, he talks about that. Um, but basically, long story short, the internationally recognized Ar- Western Armenian at that time had over one sixth of the world's accessible oil reserves. This at a time when the United States, the largest producer of oil, was quickly running out. Armenia also had almost every kind of popular mineral known 
as well as rich agricultural lands that produce 10 times more food staples than the native population consumed. When World War I ended, the leaders of the Ottoman Empire who were backed by the globalists were found guilty of war crimes, most notably the mass murder of the Armenian people and sentenced to death. The globalists quickly sprung the condemned leaders from their prison cell on the island of Malta, which was controlled by the British, and hid them in Germany where they regrouped and planned their return to power. My grandfather and or but we don't have any of that today. Today, the same people that per- perpetrated today's genocide, they are viewed at a higher scale today on the world They're, map. In the in the background, they are the same people. This war, God, Aliyev was almost about to be thrown out okay, of his own so country. So what do we do about it, guys? Let's say exactly. it's the same people. So of, of course, it's everything the same people. We, everyone at this table agrees that what's what happened 100 okay. years ago is pretty much happening, right? Yeah. We all agree on that. But what are we going to do about it? Like Paul my, said. My problem is very, very simple, guys. I, 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 I understand. And, and you know what? It's not just from that time. I'm, I, I'm, I think that easily a couple thousand years, okay? Because the last kingdom, Tigran Metz, 85 years after that, you know, everything started going south. So uh, Maybe we should figure out what happened there. Okay, let's not even figure that out. You know why? Because that's the past. Let's figure out what we can do now, okay? Yes. And, and let's figure out the problems that we saw, not just read in history books. But the I mean, if you're, let me tell you something, Paul. If you're expecting, because you already said, if you're expecting the Armenians to be able to fix this on their own, it's not going to happen. If you're going to expect us to... to to petition the United States or Russia or Europe to help us, that's not going to happen either. No, we what have needs to, to do it on our what own. Needs, no, to. no. What you need to do is you need to be smart, first of all, and you need to understand that this is not just an Armenian issue. Since the Genocide uh, Convention was enacted in 1951, in the first 50 years, there were 25 million victims of genocide. These right. weren't Armenian. Hang on, let me finish what I'm saying go here, ahead, okay? Ahead. So instead of just going to, and first of all, let me say one other thing. This, this thing about the genocide was Christians against Muslims, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't, okay? This was world powers. These were powerful families that manipulated, because the Muslims are great. At that time especially, ignorant, um, uneducated for the most part, they were easily manipulated. So they were the sharpest tool in the shed. They were easily fanaticized, okay? They, they, they found the fanatics. They carried out these, these atrocities. And there were a lot of Muslims, let me tell you, that saved Armenians, Definitely. okay? They, they, they let out all the prisoners. They said, go out there and take whatever you want to, so on and so forth. They wanted to get rid of the Armenians because at the end of the day, it was those mineral concessions. So, so wait, for those mineral concessions, wouldn't it be easier for those... You know, the mineral people who were there to take those minerals, the Americans, the Europeans, wouldn't it be easier to buy those things off the Armenians? No. The Armenians, for them, you can get a better deal if you buy something when the other person got it for free. They'll give you a better deal. The Armenians were not going to give them a better deal. In fact, if you read the book, you'll see that the Armenians said during the senatorial hearings, help us. We have all these minerals. They, they list the whole thing. There's yeah, charts, yeah, whatever, whatever, okay? So basically, at the end of the day, what the Armenians would have sold it to them for, the Armenians would have be. they didn't want the Armenians to become powerful because if the Armenians became powerful, 
Trust me, we know Armenians. The they, Armenians they would wouldn't have owned them easily. They, and not just that, they would have owned the region. They would have controlled the oil. They would have controlled everything. Because you know how Armenians, I mean, look, Mr. 5%, Gulbenkian, he had 5% of all the oil in the Middle East. He controlled 5%, an Armenian. And in fact, Gulbenkian is the one that discovered the Van oil. He was from the Van region. So they knew about the oil because of Gulbenkian. So in a sense, Gulbenkian brought that on us. How much, how much help was he to his own people? I don't know. I, I really much. I don't know. But, but what I can tell you is, I can tell you that rather than, so, so rather than just Armenians doing this alone, Armenians need to team up with all these people that have been screwed by genocide and people, human beings today. Right now, do you realize that today in America, the first seven starting points of a genocide out of 10 we've already hit here in america we are on our way to a genocide right now humans here in the united states are facing possible genocide because now they're relocating people they're forced deportations in a sense like they're gathering people up right homeless people and they're putting them in camps they're forcing them into these camps this really exists. FEMA has their camps. We'll, we'll, and so get, on. we'll get to that later. Okay. We'll talk okay. about local but, but, issues But later, here's, yeah. here's we'll the deal. The okay, but here's the deal. The deal is rather than Armenians just depending on themselves, we need to petition humanity. We need to, to Aura, petition. As the first Christian nation that we always claim, did the Christian world try to stand by us in those 44 days? No. You can't rely on anyone. They proved Who's, it. Am I wrong? If I'm wrong, Edgar, tell me I'm you're, wrong. You're wrong. Because In what way? Which which Christian nation what, came stood next to you? What was going on during those 44 days? Absolutely nothing. We were in a lockdown. Humans were locked down. They're All they're thinking about themselves at that point, they're in a panic. It was the perfect time. It was the perfect storm for an attack Maybe on that's this. another thing we should give credit to our own damn enemy. I call them all enemies. To me, Azerbaijan doesn't exist. That's Turk to me. Anyone in that region is a Turk. That's the way I look at them. There's no little brother, big brother. They're all Turk to me. Right? They are. Okay. And the, those people are not going to change. And as an enemy, we need to look at them and see their strengths too. If we're going to ever beat our enemy, we need to give them the respect. Their soldiers me, coming back. Majority of our soldiers that came back never saw anyone within 300 meters You're right. from them. But you know why they got so much support from their people? In general, Whose people, Azerbaijan, Buddy, they were so motivated. Look Small at small country of Armenia is fighting versus four huge countries. You're right, and they lasted 44 days. But they, what do they do? They fanaticize the whole thing. We, you know, what happened just before that war broke out? We were pounding the Serbs Treaty. That land belongs to us. Artsakh is Armenia. Blah blah blah. And they were feeding that into their populace, and they were getting the green light from their people to go forward because we're going to take over the land that really does belong to us. It's ours. Internationally speaking, that belongs to us. But you can't f have a situation where you're fanaticizing the population. The general population has been fanaticized. In Azerbaijan, they have a friggin', uh, what's he, uh, the war monument, right? And people are going there and enjoying it and looking at these statues and, and whatever of the war of Armenians, of, you know, injured Armenians, dead Armenians, whatever the case may be. We have a and lot And then of we have a government in place now that's charging a soldier that beheaded a terrorist, not a Zeri, not Turkish, maybe Pakistani or whatnot, terrorist that was trying to bomb 20 soldiers in, of Armenian descent. This soldier beheads that 
terrorist and he's facing life in prison from the Armenian government today. That's the government we're going to back? We're not. Who's I'm that? Well, I'll give you the details. Yeah. On that, but beheading is an international it war crime. It is an international crime. It but is. when you see your own brothers and sisters getting killed in front of you, not everybody can handle that. Well, then that's going to be his defense. But wait, our enemy takes that same type of person and calls him a, a hero. hero. And where's the international did you, community? Did you in watch? That? There's nowhere. Did you so watch? That's why I don't trust the international community you, doesn't exist. Did you watch the hearings at The Hague recently? No, I don't trust these people. Well, Sorry, should, Ara, I just don't okay. trust them. Well, you need to watch that. At least Show so me you can one understand. thing they've done positive. Show me one thing they've done oh, positive. They, it's not Nothing. that they have. But here's what it comes back to, is Edgar. It comes back to petitioning the masses to demand that these 152 nations that signed a contractual agreement that their representatives, because remember, America also has. So when was the last time that you went to our representatives here and said, hey, dude. Who am I going to go to? Adam Schiff? Do I not know who I'm going to? Come you know on, what? bro. Uh, that guy's I, been lying to our, listen, our people for the last 30 years and getting reelected every If enough people years. do, if enough people do, then you bring enough attention to the general populace so he gets elected out. So he gets voted out. You know who votes him in? Do you know how he gets in? How? By ignorant people that aren't educated, that aren't informed. Sorry, education is something that's has nothing to do with people's politics. To of me, course it does. Of course it does. You know what politics are in the United States? Politics are a team sport. Pol- <laughs> the other, I'm serious. I, I see this. They go, Republicans, Democrats, it's like the Rams versus the Chargers. And then everyone sits there and they're like waving their little flags. They don't understand who they're supporting. They only understand that the they're supporting. The two-party system is driving this country into a well, hole. L- let's yeah. see what Paul's input is in yes. on the solution. Your, your, your solution is a it, petition against those 152 countries who've uh, signed... That signed the agreement, the, for instance, right. the Genocide Convention. Yes. And, the, and which it hasn't actually been implemented. It has been, there's, it's only been implemented a handful of times, and it was like Siddhartha yeah. Panir. Yeah. But it has been used before, but it, it is in place. Or that same Genocide Convention, they have an annual convention. out. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that, that's not, that's not, they don't collect money let's, every let's year. Hear, let's hear, let's This is not a convention. This is not a, it's an agreement, shall okay. we yeah. say. It's not a, they so, call it a convention, but it's an agreement. Okay, let's hear. Paul, what, what, what do you think the solution is uh, as, as far as? Where do we go? Okay. Where okay. do we go so, from here? Okay, this is what we, what I think part of the solution is going to be is, first of all, you know, your leader will, be, will become a puppet if you don't back him up, okay? If, if, there, if he doesn't have your vote, if he doesn't have your backing, he will be used by others which want to take, which want to really abuse him. When you say your vote, are you referring to Armenians, Armenians well, Ar- in Armenia yeah, or diaspora? So, no, Armenia. In, Ar- to the mic, yeah. in Armenia, yeah, and uh, when I say that, I mean, uh, look, the the previous governments, they still own all the um, uh, you know med- media outlets and whatever. So, mm-hmm. the kind of crap that they're spreading around and the kind of rumors and whatever, we need to be standing behind the leader. I don't care about the guy. I, I don't care who he is and what he looks like and what he sounds like or whatever, and. To be very honest with you, I think the current Armenian leader is really—he doesn't really talk and walk like a politician. He's not—he's not shaped like that. He doesn't—he doesn't have all the correct whatevers. But we know that um, you know, we know that that's not 
that's not something we can correct. But we have to stand behind him so he's not manipulated by other leaders. Uh, you know. But uh, one of the most important things that we've, we have to do is um, we have to make Armenia the scientific hub of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's very doable. You know why it's very doable? Because 2% of NASA scientists are Armenian. Which is huge compared to the, the number of population. Armenians in the yeah, global yeah. population. So you know what? And those guys didn't come here uh, in 1930s, these scientists. These guys are probably the guys that escaped Soviet. our country in the last 30 years when we, uh, I- when we became an independent state, right? We, when we had um, basically not part of the Soviet Union anymore. So guess what? Uh, we have to be able to bring these guys back, and that's what FAST is doing. Right. You know, you're, you're very Rogen, aware. Yeah. yeah, you're aware of that, and, and we're doing everything we can over here. But guess what? So I talk about that, and I say, okay, uh, let's do a dollar a day, every Armenian, and if 10,000 people bought in, that would be $10,000 a day, $300,000 a month, $3.6 million a year. $3.6 million will hire 10 scientists, pay them you know, $360,000 a year income, and keep them in Armenia versus being outside. So I think that we can't increase our size and become like the Chinese or the Indians overnight. It's not going to happen. Um, uh, and and we, we can't uh, borrow somebody else's army and say, okay, now come we're stronger, come and fight for us. It's not going to happen. But if we become the technological hub of the world somehow, which I think that we could, we could become that, uh, then we're not going to be under attack anymore like we were because... You know, if if this was the other nations looking at it, the four nations, let's say they were, uh, uh, you know, in 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 uh, in this war together against uh, Armenia and Artsakh, you know, and and we saw that we're going to destroy a country that has these important scientists. The world science depends on this little hub and this little area. We, you know, we we were not going to attack them and burn them with phosphorus and use cluster bombs and all the other. Illegal stuff that they did against us. Rather, we would probably want to. Oh, sa- I found out s- that some of those phosphorus weapons are not illegal. Just letting you know, they're they're illegal if they're used on civilians. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they were used in Stepanakert, where they were only civilians. Right. So uh, my my uh, thought is, we have to bring back, you know. Uh, all of our scientists, and we have to be able to finance the scientists that are coming out of Armenia now, the the, the smart little kids, uh, that if they're pushed around again like they were in the last 20, 30 years, because they only wanted to have bodyguards, uh, you know, trained guys whose necks are, you know, 24 inches. And those guys made better money than your right. engineer. And, and they slapped around the little kid that was going to school and wanted to become something. They were calling him Dodzik and this and that. Those guys all ran out. So all these Dodzik guys are now in 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 places like earning Russia. three four hundred thousand dollars, or like NASA, Northrop Grumman, and what, yeah. you know they're they're but, out here. But what you're saying is not a political solution. What you're saying is more of an economic solution. It's not economic. It's being protected. Well, yeah, but it's still not a political solution. We need a political solution because we have. Or yeah. the only political Pakistan, solution is to be we stronger. Have Turkey. The only Armenia. political solution 
is to be stronger. To, That's the Edgar, only political The end game solution. for Turkey, for Azerbaijan, for Israel, for the United States, for Europe, is to bring Armenia to their knees so they'll sign a treaty that say, these are our borders, and we release all of the... Because right now, any... Any oil that was taken out of Azerbaijan that was on Armenian territory, that's money that we have to be compensated for. Any gold that was taken, anything, anything and everything, it's international law is on our side right now. If we surrender— So where's our foreign uh, affairs department? Exactly. Where are they? That's, that's, what comes, that's where it comes back to stop expecting the government to do it. You have, this is really what's called grassroots activism. This is where you get a million people, two million people, five million people that aren't Armenian, that are backing the idea of it happened in Rwanda. It Arla, happened we have is, a hard time staying online because we're Armenian, bro. No, we no, We have no. a hard time staying on social media being Armenian. Well, you know what? Our enemy pays all the social medias. Edgar. They are bought and paid for. And you want us to get five million non-Armenians to work for us? Not work for us, work for humanity, work for themselves. Humanity because, is at a crisis today, Ara. Yeah. Every and, human being is trying to survive for themselves. Are you, I mean, look at what's going on. And we all have world. a common enemy, and our common enemy to millions and millions is genocide, being a gen- victim of genocide or being a future victim of genocide. And like I just said, America, the term, of the, the definition of genocide, we're at stage seven right now. America is. America I posted America has gone through genocide. Before. No, America is going through the starting. The starting of genocide right now is happening in America. We are at stage seven of ten. Okay, we are at stage seven of ten. So you're saying se- we're seventy percent towards a genocide in, Am- in America. America? In, in America, in America. Look, okay, we're talking a little bit out sure. of context, but let's just ask. Or our, our, what? So what do you mean? And. 30%, what's going to happen when we okay. get to that 100%? So here, let me give you the... I under, I know the FEMA, I know about all of those. Okay, you know about that. I know about the coffins, I know about all of that stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. But where 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 is it leading to? Okay, here's where it's leading to. Let me just, let me read this to you because this is a very quick, easy list. This is an official list. This is a list that the uh, GenociteWatch.com uses to measure genocides that are happening or in the process of happening. So here we go. Okay, so basically there's 10 stages of genocide, and America has already hit the seventh one. And the seventh one is, okay, well, I should go over this. So basically the first one is classification. People are divided into us and them. Have we seen that in America? Of course we have. You right? see that throughout the world today. Okay, that's, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'll just go down to where we're at now. Official action to remove, relocate people. We've been doing that. The homeless have been removed and relocated. Okay, to Southern California. To no, <laughs> they've been they've been taken off of the streets. They've made laws and so on and so forth. The next one is the beginning of murders, theft of property, trial and mass uh, trial of uh, and massacres. Okay, and that's happening to property being taken. These are things that have happened to the Armenians also. And then the next one will be extermination, and the last one is denial. So we've done, there's a little check mark next to all the ones that we've done here. This is on my, my Facebook page, just on my regular one. So you can see the list there. But this is where we're heading. Genocide is a very serious threat to humanity. And it is. It's considered, it's not, now there's a thing that's called crimes against humanity. Crimes against humanity shouldn't be mixed up with genocide. 
crimes against humanity have, have been a crime for a long time, and that's really when another government attacks another country and they commit crimes against humanity. That is considered crimes against humanity. But when your own government is committing it against you, that's genocide. So because there is the genocide convention, because there are laws against genocide, this is where you can even get Americans, if they understand what's going on and they're sick and tired of what's going on and they're seeing that it's heading their way, they will take action. You can actually motivate anybody from any political party to jump on board something like this. And if you get people to jump on board with something like this and you start handing out punishments, because basically part of the Genocide Convention, it requires governments to pass legislation. America has actually passed legislation to punish genocide perpetrators. Biden, <coughs> well, then they should punish themselves. Right. And that's, and, and, but you know what? It took 40 years for America to do that. When they signed the convention, they delayed it, delayed it, delayed it, delayed it. They had excuses until President Senator Biden at the time passed legislation. It was 1980-something, okay? That, is, that guy's been around for He's a He's been minute, around huh? for a long time. But what he did was the, the, the legislation had put a cap on those that – the people that would get the, the largest billions and trillions of dollars at the end, right? So he put a cap on how much they can be punished for. So you can punish them, but – what you're going to have to do is you, you can't do it in clax so action. So he's basically preparing his own bed? Exactly. Well, he's preparing the bed for the globalists and the people that brought him to power and have kept him in power all this time and brought him into the presidency even at this point. But in Or that, you think our presidents are elected or selected? Selected. Okay. So, I mean, that's really manipulate the system. It's all about manipulating people. Unfortunately, Well, you people, don't even have to manipulate people these days. You no. just, well, you, well, you do what you do is you make it a sports activity. And politics have become like NBA sports. It's one team against the other, yeah. and people are cheering them on. And there's like, I mean, I know so many people that are Democrats and Republicans, and they have no idea what's going on. But they're, support, they're hardcore Democrat supporters because, you know, for whatever reason. And the Republicans are the same thing. Yeah. Some of them are, try to be very peaceful and nice, and then, of course, you got the other side that's rude and crude and whatever, but it, at the end of the day, politics are, are really played in the background. They're not played let's, by let's us. Let's transition to election. So what happens after this re-election? You have Edmond Marukian and uh, Gagik Sarukian that were part of the parliament, right? Yeah. They had their own uh, representatives in parliament. They were simply replaced by Sergik's crew, and Robert's crew. Yeah. Essentially, uh, yeah. that's what happened, right? Well, for me, if you're going to ask about politics in Armenia, I have no comment to make because as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's a non-existent thing. There's a game going on, and it's the oligarchs against the people still, even with uh, Nikol Pashinyan in power. I'm telling you, I knew Pashinyan before he was Pashinyan. I mean, I've known Pashinyan for many, many years from other people and so on. In fact... My girlfriend, um, she worked in the same office in Noyantapan, and she knows him and his wife very well. And unfortunately, we don't have a high opinion of him. We don't think he's qualified to be in that position. He's not. He, I mean, if you look at him, here's, here's Wait, one of the— So you say he's not qualified. But let's go back and look at Robert and Sergi, who by law were not even allowed to— Deputy consul in L.A. here or in, in Glendale years ago, and I asked the same thing. I said, how could Kocharyan— it was before said. I think it was like 1990 or so on. Armenia um, recognized Artsakh, and Artsakh as a part of uh, Armenia recognized Artsakh as a part of Armenia, and Artsakh recognized 
Armenia is part of Artsakh. Then Artsakh pulled that. What kind of a bullshit is that? It, it, it had, I'm not sure what the technique, you can look it up. But basically, I remain part of Armenia, technically. And there's documents, apparently, to that extent. So Kocharyan was able to run because Artsakh was a part of Armenia, legally, at that time, and maybe still is, in fact, and no one ever talks about it. But there was apparently a referendum where they actually did that, and Artsakh withdrew theirs, but Armenia didn't. So technically, Robert Kocharyan could legally run. But was he qualified to do it? Was he qualified to run the country? I don't think anybody is qualified to run Armenia under these conditions that we're seeing right now. I mean, unfortunately, so you know, who, well, do you, who do you see today that listen, as long as we have these global threats to Armenia, I mean, I was never I never before writing this book, before putting this book together, I was the guy that was saying Armenia, you know, they we need to do this, we need to do that, whatever, whatever. But then when I discovered this. Okay, and this was from, like, studying my, this, this information, my grandfather has been collecting this stuff since 1910. So this archive. I love the story of the history, which is, today, it is rep- Today, if you itself. ask me, today is that Armenia has, and I was told this when I was living there even, our problem is the, and I was hearing this from government officials, our problem is the external threats. And I'm now convinced from my own research and from what I understand of globalists and the global markets and what Armenia has to lose and what Armenia is a, how Armenia is a threat. Globalism came into Armenia under Roberts. No, times. no, no. Globalism came into Armenia in 1900 thanks to Theodore Roosevelt. That's when it started, and it never left. Never left. Okay. It never left. Makes sense. So the reality is is that until Armenia signs some paper that says we accept these borders because the Treaty of um, Alexandropol would have put an end to this. The Azeris would have been happy, which were not really, they were like a brand new country. They didn't exist before 1917. Okay, And there's, there's newspaper, if you go to news, uh, newspapers.com, you can go back and you search Azerbaijan with a D in it, Azerbaijan. You will find articles about Enver Pasha creating this. You will find the the British, the world powers to be, all the bullshit medias and whatever, whatever around the world. They recognize them as the most civil pieces of shit in the world. No, but they yeah. sorry, looking really bad and looking like oh, we're just cr- crying. So would you suggest that we sign a treaty and just sign no, it? No, 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 no. We don't sign okay. anything. Well, then if we don't do that, we're going to always have this threat. Fight for it. Smart. Not it's. We cannot. Let me tell you this right now. You are not going to be a because of the players that have something to lose, and we're talking trillionly bankrupt. Hold on, guys, tr- it's buffering for some reason. Give well, me shit. Anytime you talk about topics like this, you're bound to get it. Now you see, we face this all the time. We can be talking about something else, random, and we don't have one issue. As soon as you start talking. Our enemies are beating us at every game. It's not only the political game. The same meeting you're talking about. Did you see the representatives of Armenia? I did. Did you see the type of language they were? I mean, come on, you know. Are we back on? We've always been well, on. It's just buffers. It, it's oh, okay. just buffering right now. I don't know if it had to do with let's go Brandon, Brandon or yeah. Stop with the uh, Brandons. Let's get this going, guys. We want to keep staying we, on. We Biden. love Joe Biden. Let's see if it comes back on. Let's go Biden. Paul, let's let Paul. Get his input, guys. Yes, definitely. I know you guys are very okay, opinionated, so, but... So, how much money was taken out of Armenia in the last 25 years? $30 billion. Maybe more. Okay, let's say $30 billion. Let's say it. 
do you think that if the $30 billion wasn't taken out of there, of Armenia, and was used for some sort of weapons, yes. some sort of... Trenches. 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 We didn't even have trenches dig the dug, bro, all this time. Okay? All it took was maybe bobcat, one bobcat. Okay, <laughs> we didn't have that. $500,000. Do you know how many times these guys spent $500,000 to get flowers for their kid's wedding from Holland? Yes. Okay, so we didn't have a satellite channel, so we control, and we look at what our neighbor is doing from 1994. Enemy. We knew Enemy. we... Okay, whatever, Enemy. Could cover a huge $250,000 tab to do something in Armenia, which was very cold for at that time. But so guess sorry what? Sorry, guys. They, they're saying it's completely frozen now. Uh, it is frozen. Sorry, bro. Paul Jan. Give me sorry, one sec. What the hell is going on, man? A few seconds. See if, the, if it comes back on. It says you're back. Let's do it. We're back. Okay. If it's going to go too fast, Foundation of Armenian Science and Technology... If it's going to help us grow something, may build the infrastructure, have a Gitu Chuneri Academia again and all that, you know, we, that's what we need to change in our mindsets. And we need to get, get rid of this division. What are uh, we going to do? Ask Armenia well, Fund no, no, to no, 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 these? Or what are we going to do? No, not Armenia Fund. We should, we should definitely support anything that says United Armenian. Okay? I know that there's... But guess what? Do we want United Armenia Fund to be closed, shut down, that's it, don't exist anymore? No. In this day and age, how do you send a penny if you need? You have a, you have a nation, but it is what it is, right? So you have to have a way of channeling money, say, sending money to from the 7.5 million to the 2.5 when the time arises. How do you do that if you don't have that, uh, the, the United Armenia Fund? How do you do that? Let's get rid of them. I, they're not, it's not my fund. I don't care. But guess what? It's a united Armenia fund. And none of us, you know, will have another idea right away to replace that. So how, how do you do it? Let me ask this question then. What, what, percent, what percent of, let's say, the average country's GDP is spent on the military? Because understanding Armenia's GDP, right, it's gone up about 700% over the last... 20 years even before Nikol took over it went from and or or allocate I should say say 10% 15% of that uh, GDP towards the military you're talking about 150 200 million dollars a year right which That's is not enough which is wh well it's a lot more than what we're spending today in Armenia aren't we so why why wasn't even that simple task done as far as allocating more of those funds towards towards the military rather than but they did. In the last few years, they have bought so much weapons. If we didn't have that, we would not last 44 days, bro. Trust well, me. Well, actually, Paul, one thing that you need to also understand. So there's a, a company called DG Munitions, I think it is. David Gevorkian or something like that. You can look it up on the Internet, DG. This guy was selling Armenia's weapons to different countries, like the good weapons, the stuff that was supposed to go to Artsakh. We were fighting a lot of times with the old 1974, 19 whatever, the old Kalashnikovs. So we actually, because of corruption, and this didn't start just during Nikol's time. This started way before. It goes back to the well, like, early 2000s. Well, in 2016, the four-day war, right after that, Serge Sarkisian went on TV and said, 
our boys were fighting with 1980s weapons. Yeah. So we had lots of weapons, and they were being sold off. This Do was you know how much weapons were left in brand new condition to the enemy? And these are weapons that Russia gave to Armenia that the enemy didn't have. Now they have, then they're going to use against us. Well, you, you need to understand these something also. There's been things going on in the background for a long time. So for, for since 1998, I, have actu- I lived in the Marathoni region. I was actually investigating Monte Melkonyan's murder. And I uh, interviewed a lot of witnesses. And it started actually, it was Monte's father. He, they came for a visit to Martuni, and I took them around. The governor of the Martuni region, his name is Nelson Sohomonyan, I think is his last name. And we went to his headquarters after visiting Mersulu, which is where Monte was killed. And as we were during our visit, all of a sudden, Charlie, Monte's father, just gets up and walks out. And so I walked behind him. The guy was, you know, he was 80 years old at the time. So I walked behind him. We have to go down this flight of stairs to my car. And as, as Monte's widow, Seta, and Monte's mother, Zabel, and sister are apologizing to Nelson, we're walking to the car, and Charlie turns to me as we're walking. He goes, that's the man that killed my boy. And I had already heard a lot of stuff before that here and there. So when I investigated, oh, and it took a, a long time, years, literally years of investigations, um, there recently, Vano Siraderian, you've heard of him, obviously. Passed away recently. He passed away recently. I didn't know Vano very well, but the one thing that I do appreciate from Vano is he actually um, when he, and I was in Martuni at the time. Um, the the KGB and so on, they had come there, the investigators came there, and they were taking statements. Well, fortunately for me, years after this, I ended up with the first draft of Nelson's statement. So he had to have it retyped. So they threw it out, and somebody that was in the cleaning staff retrieved it and gave it to me. They held on to it for years, and then eventually gave it to me when they found out that I was doing this investigation. And what I learned in this investigation was, and it comes down to these weapons, it goes back to the weapons thing. So when Monte was killed, first of all, it wasn't just a lone BMPA and some soldiers and whatever. There were, I can account for at least six pieces of heavy equipment of Azeris, of the Azeris, and they were allowed into Mersulu, and they were allowed to basically ambush him, and they were on all sides of him. So Monte comes down the main road. Nobody would go in with Monte. He was telling people... Um, you know, follow me in with your tank, because that's usually what the protocol is. And here's the commander. And he was going to look for Nelson. Nelson was on the other side of Mersulu. There was a road that came from the Azerbaijani side that no one secured. And all they had to do was just put, you know, a sentry there or something with a radio. So if they saw something, they can radio ahead. So the Azeris came in through this road, and they, they picked up their positions. A battle ensued. Um, Monte was killed. And then Nelson's guys from the other side come in and they actually encounter um, a Sturm, which is an and it's a BMP-1 uh, that's made for anti-tank. They destroy that, okay? And that's, an, basically it's a, it's, they hit another tank. They actually captured the commander from the Azeri side who in his Jeep, there was a videotape and maps. They capture that. They capture the Velis that they were driving. Um, we don't know what happened to the videotape or the maps. Nelson probably has them. Somebody has them because the Armenians did capture that. We killed the commanders, by the way, the Azeri, the two Azeri commanders that were there and their driver do get killed. We tried to take them prisoner, but then our tank that came in 
to that was the first on the scene that hit the Sturm. Um, they ended up getting shot by some anti-tank gun. There was a young kid from, I, I can't remember which village. His name was Vrej. He was 17 years old. He had been on that tank, and he got burned. His gun was melted, whatever. Um, so they had to basically, with this half-disabled tank, they had to escape. So they all get on there and escape. And then Nelson's other, the the main group of people with Nelson, in Nelson's BMP, he had a BMP-1, he's the commander, he's in that. They come in, and they basically encounter, like I said, a tank and some other thing which they hit. Then Nelson's BMP, which wasn't damaged, but they've destroyed a bunch of his area equipment, they left it behind. And the guy that, that told me this whole story, he was the driver of the BMP, and he told me this whole story in detail. I have it on video. I have, like, places, the whole thing. I got the whole thing. Basically, he said, my BMP, I can still hear it running. So have somebody take me back down there. And they left it there. The Azeris ended up getting it. And his BMP had an anti-tank gun on the front. It was like a special custom job that the Army... This whole thing is orchestrated by somebody else. That's why I keep coming back to See, that. The, but back in those days, majority of the weapons the Armenians were fighting with was taken from the Azeris. No. During, there, there was a, a lot of the equipment, majority. a lot of equipment, but there were, there were depots. So in the Kelbajad Hills... There were actually bunkers that were storing the Soviet-made tanks and so on and so forth. I know somebody that actually went there. They sent somebody in from Russia to open up this huge bahest. It was like a huge underground bunker in a hill, and it had all sorts of equipment just sitting there waiting for— I mean, I guess during the USSR, they have these places. Bases, basically. Yeah, where, well, they're, they're depots. So if something happens, they can go there and they can retrieve these things and use them in battle. They don't have to, like, deploy things from Moscow or wherever. It's already there. So the Armenians, you know, they got their share. The Azeris got their share. But yes, the Armenians did capture a lot. In fact, because of Monte, they learned how to capture tanks. Just basically lay in the grass. They would pass over. They would jump on the back. They would throw a, a grenade in or shoot the driver or whatever, disable the tank, and then take the tank and run. Or they would, you know, they would go late at night, and the Azeris are sitting around a campfire. I know one guy who actually snuck in there at night and well at their campfire. And then the next morning, he got into the tank. He was a tank driver, and him and his buddy. And basically, they stole the tank. But before they took off, they just shot the whole place up as they were leaving, and they captured a tank that way. They actually like infiltrated their little campfire. So. A lot of that kind of stuff did go on. The Armenians are very clever, okay. you know, when it comes so to that. So today's Armenia. I have this question for both. We know what the elections were like. We weren't there. Do you guys have a name? Once Nikol has to leave, any leader that loses a war must leave at one point, right? No. We, because uh, Aliyev... So you see Nikol uh, as no, the no, guy no, no, that no, should No, 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 I'm carry. not looking at it. You're saying any leader during a war has to leave if there is a loss. Aliyev had a loss. The father, not this dude. Yes, his, his father. father. Right. You know, We're talking what? about a country that's uh, not like a... They pass on that torch. No, 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 no. That's the kind of time... No, they still have country. elections. It's a dictatorship. It's, it's, they have elections. They had elections. But guess what? He stayed, and not only he stayed, he brought his son. Mm -hmm. And then his son supposedly, quote, unquote, in their terms, liberated their lands if they call it their lands. But why do we have to get rid of Nicole right now? Let's not. He's going to no, leave. No, 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 no. But let's... ...party has control over parliament. They can re-elect him over and over. This is not... The president is appointed... The new constitution that Serge Sarkisian and his group passed, the president is appointed by... 
the National Assembly. Okay, so it's an appointment, and he's very we- a very weak person now. Does the president have, have power? Almost none. Okay, no, he's no almost power. like a. It's the prime minister. Okay, the prime minister. It's so as long today. as long. Okay, so as long as they have control over the parliament, Nicole can stay indefinitely. Because at the end of the day, it's not even the people that are electing so Nicole. Why was he involved? He can he can serve as many. Of course, he no, can. he can't. Why was he even involved in the elections? Why 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 did they have to elect him? They didn't elect him. They elected the uh, National Assembly, and then the National Assembly votes for the Prime Minister. So okay. the National Assembly tomorrow can actually remove Nicole if they wanted to. So it's really up to them. So if you want Nicole removed, you okay, have to get the National Assembly to remove him. But unfortunately, the majority are not statesmen okay, or stateswomen. They don't understand the dynamic. It's very clear they don't understand the dynamics. I know somebody that's in his his um, his his cabinet, shall we say. Circle. His, no, he actually has an official position. I'm not going to give his name. The okay. fact is that I don't – I've seen – you know, the thing is – okay – what we need to understand is we need to understand the people that are in these positions. So, for instance, l- let's talk about this. And this is something that actually you guys should have a show about and invite my girlfriend on. Um, she's uh, in Armenia. Unfortunately, um, psychological people that have psychological problems, amote. You don't address it. You don't just ignore it, right, and move on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of people in Armenia do not address mental health issues. You go to Australia – I think it's one-third or two-thirds of the population at some time in their life have needed to have some sort of psychological help. And well, for any population to have two-thirds I don't know, psychological two-thirds, one-third, issues? Sure, why not? Well, no. in the U.S., you elect somebody who's mentally disabled why not? into office. So, so, so here's, here's... Come here's on, the, man. Look, look, look. Let's, let's stay on topic here. So here's the point. The point is that if you have somebody who's schizophrenic or you have somebody who's you know suffers from paranoia or a psychopath so, or, or my a question sociopath. right now do you so you're saying after how many so we have is, is it we have a lot Nicole of people has, has Nicole been in charge once or is it for how long in Russia yeah well he went to prime minister to president to prime minister he does and as he pleases you can as far as I know you can become the pri- you can stay the prime minister for as long as the national assembly finds you suitable yeah no i think but it's the two next terms. election no, no 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 the, it used to be two <clears throat> terms for president party does forcefully or did some magic but or whatever okay well uh, you, my but, question but here's one but the thing. question here's, was different yeah. my question was do you guys see anyone else besides Nicole that might have a chance of sitting in that seat which is important well, Do I, you see anyone else? I don't know of anybody particular. Brandon. Brandon. I don't know anybody particular. <laughs> Great but answer. Hey, hey listen, let's, I want to go back to what Paul just said. Paul, listen, and then the National Assembly will decide who the prime minister is going to be. What had happened at that time was, do you know how many different parties and different, like, fell on the ground there? Their biggest fear was Kocharyan coming back to power. So they felt that the lesser of two evils is going to be Nicole. Not necessarily it's going to be Nicole, but if they spread their votes out to some of these others that are actually more qualified to run the country, in their opinion, then all of a sudden Nicole's is going to get weakened, Kocharyan is going to be back in, and then it's going to really be bad because it's going to be back to that old system. So basically, Nicole was 
in a lot of people's opinion, the lesser of two evils, because living that. under Kocharian and Sarkisian, who are oligarchs, who are corrupt, doesn't who are, that remind you guys of America having to choose between Trump and Hillary? It's so bad. Yeah. When you have to choose the lesser of the two evils, you're screwed. The people are screwed. And it doesn't matter if you're in America or you're in Armenia. When you, you're given two choices and both of the choices are bad, the people can't win in that situation. Yeah. Well, it's the screwed. same situation in Armenia. And that's why it keeps coming back to the system needs to change. I mean, none of you have read this yet. I really highly recommend. Hang on. Let me, let me do a little plug here. So for so for those who we haven't can, can seen this, here for you. Right, yeah. sure. So for those who haven't seen this, this is called "Betrayal: The Promise Never Kept: Genocide in the West, Secret War for Oil." It is an 800-page book. Um, they have it at Optimus Bookstore. It's really well worth the read if you really want to understand what's going on today. This is identical to what happened in the early days of our genocide. This new genocide is very typical and it's the same players. So Israel's involved, Israel was in Israel was informed yet at that time, but it talks about the formation of Israel in this book and who was behind it and how they did it. And basically it comes down to the US, Europe, um, you know, there's all there's a list of countries that were responsible not only for our genocide before, but what's going on today. And it comes back again to territorial claims and Armenia truly has that can go to these places and get that land back take foreign affairs does it take we, volunteer groups does it take okay. uh, who, do, who who needs to go take care of that because me I don't know how to right, do that exactly. do you I, it, so Paul, do you know where we are supposed to go to get that land back so so by law Nakhijevan belongs to Armenia it today, does right absolutely okay. Okay. that that is on the way to being launched. The second book that I'm writing, which is a short book, an easy read, it's not aimed towards Armenians necessarily, though, again, it uses the Armenian example because we have documentation. We can prove the thing about the... Can I say globalist, or are they going to cut us off again? Um, anyway. You already did. <laughs> are we cut off? <laughs> not yet. Okay. YouTube kicked us off. Did they already? No. no. Anyway, so, so basically um, what it comes down to is... We're starting a movement. Actually, it's a service. It's called Global Peace International. And Global Peace International is a subscription um, service which individuals can subscribe to. And Global Peace International becomes your liaison between the United Nations, between government representatives, between governments and you. And the the, uh, mission of Global Peace International is to work towards global peace. And the Global Peace Initiative, which it may sound like a fantasy to some people. There have been people in the 60s doing these. Have we ever had global peace? We haven't had. People have been pushed into a corner in so many parts of the world. And so many people have been a victim of these these violence and these wars. Wars are illegal. In general general terms, most wars have led to some form of genocide. So this Genocide Convention is a really important document. Now, the Genocide Convention, you have to understand... It was this Raphael Limkin is the one that pretty much created coined the, the word. Term. He coined the term. But you know what his motivation was? 1921 Talat Pasha criminal trial where Talat Pasha became the suspect and, and Sogomon became the victim. Um, but basically, Raphael Limkin, a young law student from Poland, had witnessed this whole thing and asked a million people it's not illegal. 
And from that, he devoted the rest of his life. The guy died as a pauper. I mean, he was 59 years old. His heart gave out. He was riding a bus, living in poverty, not even taking care of his health. He was living in poverty. He was driving. He was taking the bus to his publisher. He was doing his autobiography. He was in the process of doing that. But basically, the, the, the genocide convention is the result of the Soho Montelidian 1921 trial, which my grandfather intentionally, it's really interesting, my grandfather intentionally set it up so Sohomon would be caught, he would stand trial. My grandfather also hired the lawyers, the defense attorneys that defended Sohomon. He knew who the judge was going to be, which one of the defense attorneys was the law professor to the judge, so he knew Sohomon was going to get off. And basically, it was uh, Talat is going to get assassinated, he's going to get executed, and then he's going to be put on trial, and that's exactly what happened, is that ended up happening, and that was the spark, and that was his hope, my grandfather's hope, was that the world would take action, and the action that took place was Raphael Lemkin passed the Genocide Convention, he, he pushed it all the way through, it got passed, and now we have the tools to actually do what needs to be done today to start working towards world peace because the United Nations, what is it all about supposedly? Peace. But do they do anything? No. So what do you need to do? You need to put pressure on them. You need to put pressure on the people that represent your country in the United States, yeah. in the United Nations. You need to push the United Nations. It's, all the tools are in place, but we're not using the tools. It's been used maybe five times so far on these really minor, not minor, Kosovo and so on. There's There's been some serious cases that have taken place, but they're is the potential of literally shutting down wars because every war leads to usually a genocide, and a genocide is punishable. So until you start punishing people for crimes of this nature, they're going to continue going on as we've been seeing. So basically, Global Peace International, people subscribe as an individual. It automatically will generate letters to these representatives, and then over time, we will have representatives in Geneva, in New York, and so on, Within the working with the United Nations and putting pressure on them and outreach and all that type of stuff. But here's the most important thing. So you let's say, for instance, let's use Adam Schiff as an example because we love him so much. He's he's our representative in this in this district, right? So basically, if he's the man. If you're in the 28th district, Adam Schiff would be your representative, which Global Peace International will be bugging and saying, "Hey, Adam." You know, here's the situation. By the way, he's going on TV tonight to talk about his book on Kono O'Brien or whoever it is. He's going to be out in Pasadena on Sunday. Oh, nice. What is his book about, Trump? Uh, it's, yeah, I think so. Probably. <laughs> so anyway, but the, but the reality is is that this will automatically be bugging the shit out of him. And then when, then when you get your answer, because he's got to answer you, right? So this is all automated. So he gets a, an email, for instance. And it's from you or from you or from whoever the subscriber is. And then the answer has to come. Then you get to score his answer. First of all, was it lip service? So you, there's like maybe five different categories, and you do the one through ten thing or one through five. At the end of the day, there's going to be a scorecard. So when election time comes around, we're going to be publishing every elected official's scorecard. And it's going to be the A, B, C, D, F, right? Okay. And also... We're going to be using our resources. Is B for Brandon? I don't know. I don't even know who Brandon I don't follow your show that Come much on, that man. I know who Brandon is. You don't know is. who Brandon is? No, I don't. Seriously, don't know I who seriously Brandon. don't. He's a great car racer, bro. Oh, okay. <laughs> should, should we circle back to some local politics, Paul? 
So anyway, let me you're very cozy. Let me let me just close. Let me just close this so you understand. So basically, the common person is able to actually have a service where you don't have to worry about it so much, but you're always in the loop. You yeah. can always opt out, so you're going to get the what we're going to send to Adam, mm-hmm. and you can say, no, I don't. One of the, the, the beautiful things is we're also going to be anybody that's running for office in any country that we're covering, those people that we have like clients in those areas, we're going to be offering them a service of psychological evaluations that our company pays for, and we arrange for that, but also... We're going to use BCBAs to analyze their behavior because behavior is really key. It tells what a person is, what they do, and so on. So if somebody declines, let's say Adam declines the psychological evaluation. Well, what he's going to get is, first of all, he's going to get a score saying he has declined the psychological evaluation. So people are going to know this guy's... Right, but who cares about that score? Because you don't want to have... A sociopath. You don't want to have a narcissist. Okay, you don't want to have. We, uh, we understand you, but the, his question is: Who cares? The people. Do the people care? Well, these are people that are making decisions and speaking on your behalf. Do you we really want? Understand exactly what you're saying. Let, let, so everyone should care. We we had a recall in California, right? Second mm-hmm. time in history. Yes. Yes. What happened? Nothing. But we won sixty six. How many people? Re-election. How many people are? Still thinking that politics is a competitive sport. Do, do you think, most people? Do you think if you published stats about Newsom that this absolutely would, this would have been different? It could have been different. Absolutely, I, I believe so. I hope so. you're right. I, I believe I, that. I, don't think I believe that if people know who their elected potential elected official is going to be, that they're going to vote for because an informed public. Has, needs tools the, in order to be able public, to make good decisions, and it's not, and the whole thing is that this is driven by the people. It's not driven by Global Peace International. It's driven by you and the score you gave, and he gave, and so on. So basically, what happens is there's a there's a technique. It's called ABA, and they use this primarily for the most part on children. So it's basically it's rewarding somebody for doing something right or you know. Mm-hmm. A, Punishing them in a sense. Right. They get to make choices. So basically in the Adam Schiff situation is if you do the right thing, then I'm going to vote for you. If you do the wrong so, thing, I'm not okay, going to vote for you. you and votes are everything for Schiff no, no, as they I'll, are for everybody I'll, I'll else. Tell you, I'll tell you what. Wh- whatever you're talking about, your idea sounds amazing in theory. In reality, ain't going to change jack shit. And I'll tell you why. Because look, look at it this way. Um, when, when Trump was in office... What was Adam Schiff doing all day long on CNN and MSNBC? Russia, 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 Russia. Has he talked about anything that Biden has done in the last 10 months or his son or anything? Okay, let me ask you a question. Has he mentioned anything? How much much do you know about Schiff? Has he mentioned anything? No, I'm asking you a question. Well, you didn't answer my question yet. He hasn't mentioned anything about that. So what does that tell you? But let me ask you. No, no, no. But let me ask you. you, Let me ask you something. How much? That tells you they play politics. How much do you know about Schiff? Do you know that he voted time and again to arm? No one cares. No, they do. They nobody should. They ha- cares. because they don't know. No, no, nobody no, cares. No, you know why people nobody don't know? Care? Look, when you oh. have when you have the media as your marketing company, which the left does, there's absolutely nothing you can do with your ABAs, BCBAs. AB- None of that matters to people because they're when presented what they they want to be presented. When you That's have an it. organization which is collecting data and has factored in a budget for media, then you're also going to be using the media 
to put up the billboards, to put up the the send out the flyers and so on, which is going to be uh, community driven information basically. Aura, but you ran uh, what? Do, what office did you run for against Schiff? Or I ran. Were you ag- I ran against Schiff. You ran against Schiff, right? Yes. You're a very smart person. You know history like I don't know history. You know the Armenian history. Now your stance on uh, politics when it comes to U.S. politics, I don't know. And I personally, it's none of my business. Oh, I well, feel like it, it is your business because you live here. It affects yes. you. If you were in Adam Schiff's position, I probably would have known your political stance today. But you're not. So th- what he's trying to tell you is the people don't care. If you didn't get the exposure, did you well, get well, mainstream media coming? No, of course Did not. mainstream media come and say, hey, Aura, you're running against Adam Schiff. Let me give you 10 minutes on uh, CNN. Paul, do you, think, no, you, do, do you think this type of software or any type of statistics is actually going to affect politics in the U.S.? No. Why not? Because everything is pre-programmed. It, unless people wake up from this dream that everybody, you know, uh, universities and stuff, they kind of mold people a certain way, yes. indoctrinate yes. people a certain way. And uh, giving free money, obviously, to a huge population, it's also another um, way of making more zombies, another make a difference. You know, businesses getting destroyed. And this and that. Uh, I mean, there's... So those things obviously are not going to make a difference. Yeah. Because what needs to be done to make a difference is we need to become our own country again. We as in who? Us, America. America, yeah. Look at the ships are stuck. Why would we even need the ships? If we were manufacturing country, why in the world would we need to wait for... Why would we need to wait for for China to send goods and whatever, whatever? And if they so, if these guys pull the plug, what do we do? Become a, a, a you know a co- country with no goods and no services or nothing? Uh, you know, we depend on them. They don't depend on us. No, I don't agree with that at all. We depend well, on their. We depend on their resources. We depend on their raw materials. America. Are we a manufacturing country? We don't have to be a manufacturing no, country. No, but we're a consumer country. And but what whose we product do, are we consuming? We're consuming the world's products. China mainly? No. Yes. What, no, no. What well, Turkey also. Well, who else? We're South America. We're bringing in raw materials so from all over the world. Listen, it, in, the, in the beginning of time when America was formed, it was the country that you're talking about. that was somewhat self-sufficient. It was the pilgrims. They took care of themselves, of the world. But we only represent less than 5%. As far as the natural resources of the world, America consumes up to 50%. Okay, These numbers may have changed over the last five years or so, but these are numbers that are real. America is, sadly, the global parasite of the world. That's the reality. If you have, for instance... Okay, so you've got, you, you remember the days of DVD players when they yes. were, or whatever, CD, DVD players, mm-hmm. right? Remember how we could get a DVD player for $50, $40? Now you can get it for $30, right? Do you know how much it would cost you to get a DVD player manufactured in the United States of America? Probably 200 300 if it was manufactured in Why Japan do? back in the Civil Why? Do? Why? Because America uses basically slave labor, child labor, um, people making a dollar a day, $2 a day. It's called the, the world um, who... Who, the World, not World Health Organization. Hang on. There's the IMF, 
which is the International Monetary Fund, but that has nothing to do. It's the World Trade Organization. Okay. So basically, there's trade. America has trade contract, commercial trade contracts with different countries. Slavery is illegal in the United States of America, but slavery very much, and slavery meaning like cheap labor, um, people that can't make enough money even to buy bread and food for their families. So basically, Americans are able to get their $50 DVD player, $30 DVD player. Otherwise, we could never afford so, it. I'll, let me ask you this question. 30 years ago, what was what was the average hourly salary here? 30 years wage, ago, 5 bucks, wage. 4 no, bucks. Less than 375 or something yeah, yeah, along yeah. there. 30 years. What is it now? Right now, $15 it's, it's not 50 It's, it's, it's 13 25 or something. Well, there's a lot of states that are still paying way less than Eight that. 8 bucks. Yeah. So, let, let's, assume, let's assume it's gone up on average two times okay mm -hmm. it's doubled why should the dvd cost six times the amount the dvd player it, it has it's not about the wages it's not about slave labor that china that, that you're china, not going to get minimum wage people making dvd players of course you can it's an assembly you line it's, it's you know what the issue is it's regulation it's red tape it's all the bullshit political red tape for in order for you to have a manufacturing plant today the amount of mon money it takes for you to be regulated compliant. and up compliant, you're pretty much out of capital. That's the yeah. problem. You're using all of it. So companies. if they, and, and they did that intentionally so that business could be overseas to China and other, other parts of the world. Well, also the reality is, and this, this goes back even to the Armenian situation where Armenia had 10 times the potential, agricultural potential, than what was being consumed. Colby M. Chester's son, Colby M. Chester Jr., was the president of General... General Mills International, which was a cereal company. So they were in the food business. They were in the mineral business. You you have the, what's that guy that did the uh, Near East Foundation that did all the orphanage stuff? Um, Dodge. There was a guy yeah. named Dodge, Cleveland H. Dodge. He was in the copper business. And you know what one of the biggest things for the uh, mineral concessions was? Copper. In the same region my grandfather was from. And that copper mine in in Armenia in western Armenia was enough to pay for the entire concessions deal well okay look, I, none of so, us were were around back then let's talk yeah, about well the documents are, are there I understand but let's talk about currently what's happening to small business owners they're being put out of business but Why? You, well on purpose if, if you ask me here's what my take is and I gave this in an interview on Horizon TV mm -hmm. back in 2019. It was November after I did the book presentation. Horizon pulled it. They actually didn't even, it's not on YouTube anymore. Never they, aired it? They, they aired it, but then they uploaded it on YouTube and then they like deleted it because they didn't, apparently somebody didn't like what I was saying. But what I said in that interview, and I have the audio at least, I made an audio recording of that interview and I posted it on Facebook, um, is I said, we are heading towards economic collapse. This is before the pandemic. We're heading for economic collapse. After the election, the stock market is going to crash. Which election? Which the, which the presidential election. That just passed. That just passed. Okay? Wilson's the stock market is going to crash. And the reason why it's going to crash is the global market Has it crashed? is exhausted. No, because they were able to pump in trillions of dollars from and give everybody money so they would like— Everyone got these $600 a week things. They got, you know, $1,400 checks, whatever, for Susmanan, for Hankistilan, or whatever. And even my, I have a business, and I even got PPP money to pay my employees, which was very helpful because business, like, dropped off less than half. But the reality is, is that 
this was, they, they say it's a pandemic. Well, we know from the statistics, we know what's going on. Yeah, there's something out there. I don't know. Is it a bioweapon? Is it natural? Is it, is it man-made? Was it from a laboratory in Virginia? Whatever. I don't even want to go there. But the reality is, is that we've been heading towards a crash of our economy, the global economy, for a very long time. This came in just before I believed we were going to have this crash. And this is what propped it back up because we were able to cut loose trillions of dollars and we're going to cut loose trillions of more. Closer. So you think the pandemic helped the global, postpone the global collapse, basically? Absolutely. What do you think, Paul? Uh, I don't think I don't think that's the. Uh, it didn't postpone it. The collapse uh, was inevitable because you can't keep bullshitting for a long. So the time collapse is is inevitable. It is. You know, look, you have you have one point five trillion dollars of outstanding student loan. You have over one point eight trillion dollars of credit card debt. You have, you know, so much mortgages outstanding and this and that, eight million students in, in default of their student loans, the healthcare crisis, this and that. Social security is not truly a trust fund. It's a pay as you go system and uh, you don't have enough people to support you know, the ongoing system, something has to get reset somehow, somewhere. And what we're seeing as the collapse is that, but, you know, pumping this extra money is probably... Inflation at its best. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, look at in 1970s, the amount of money that they had to print was in billions and not in, uh, you know, in trillions. In trillions. Today. So uh, in 1980s, we saw double-digit interest rates. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay that. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> it's it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you think your house prices got gone up, but you know, one day you're going to walk around with a wad of cash, and just go buy two bar bodies and two picnic ponies <laughs> and go. <laughs> that's if the store right. has it. That's you know, if but the that's store my, has it. My point <laughs> is that you know your money is going to be worthless. So what? Your house is worth uh, three million dollars, and you bought it for you know seventy-three thousand dollars in nineteen seventy-eight or whatever. You know. But it's still not worth more because everything's just exploded. But but how did we go from during when Clinton was in office, we were surplus at a surplus. Right. How are we thirty trillion? Every president after him, we have doubled. Well, you have to also understand debt. the the amount of money we spend on military is what it's like ten times more than any other the next country. The next it's, five after us. Yeah. Well, spend less. I mean, look at it this way. But but what it comes back to is look. They're spending a lot on military. We need to put our efforts in the opposite of military, which is peace. And going back to peace, right, I know, and you, I know you're, but you guys military are— military spending listen, is one of those spendings so where you two, can hide a lot of money. Wasn't there though. $2 trillion used in Afghanistan to fight the war against terror? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. what happened? What happened to that money? <laughs> yeah. We but, walked but, away in peace. But getting back to, <laughs> getting back to something that, that, that I want to share is when— when so I know you are because we want to talk about career and events. Okay, <laughs> well, no, I want to, I want to, I want to say this one, one last thing here on this subject is when Sogomon killed Talat, nobody thought it was possible. Everyone told my grandfather he was crazy. It's never going to. Anybody that that knew what was kind of going on, that donated money and so on, even that supported it, they still didn't believe that they could pull it off, and they did pull it off. Today we have a situation, and you just proved it to me was when I presented Global Peace International, you said it won't work. But it's never been tried. So in order for you to say 
it won't work, you have no data to back up your claim of it won't work because it's never been tried. So, so you mean unfortunately, tell me. unfortunately, people have a defeatist mentality because they, they really believe that things won't work. But if you try it, and my grandmother used to always say this, and this is Shahan's wife. Mm-hmm. She used to always say, you have to at least try. You have to try. You know you're talking to an entrepreneur, right? How can I be an That's, entrepreneur if I have a defeatist mentality? Well, what you told me about this thing, it's not going to work, no, you, tells you, me. No, no, no. What, see, right now you're twisting my words around. What I said is the statistics that you're going to publish about Adam Schiff and whoever else, nobody mm-hmm. gives a flying fuck about it. Because, how, how do you know? Because they control every single social media outlet TV out, you name it, they control 98% of it. If you became as, There's nothing, if you became your, your as large, if you became bro. as large as Facebook with a, with a, with a, a, a readership as large as Facebook, do you not think that you'll have some sort of effect? Okay, so tell me one conservative outlet that's anywhere near the size of Facebook. One conservative outlet? Yeah, tell me. It, uh, I'm not even Doesn't saying this would be. Parlor? Well, first of all, I'm not even saying this would be considered conservative. No, no, I understand, but forget about what you're going to do, right? Republican Democrats have been around for a long time. So name me one conservative outlet like a Facebook, an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, something that's cons- conservative dominant that has anywhere near the market share that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, any of these guys have. Well, you you named you named Parler. Parler is one. Parler what was happened shut with down. Parler? Amazon shut them down because they were using Amazon servers and they got shut down. Well, right? what that tells me is that the, the if it, if you're talking about like Republicans have to dom or conservatives, it shouldn't even be Republicans. W- w- it should be conservatives wh- first of all. Why did Why did Jeff Bezos buy the Washington Post? The Was- because the Washington Post was publishing conservative stuff and he wanted to control it okay so okay. why aren't the conservatives doing the same thing why I mean, you need to ask conservatives again my my question to you is the reason i asked you that is because we conservatives technically have more money than republicans are supposed to be the all for rich and democrats are for the poor but yet you can't name me one outlet that controls what people see and as long as that's the case there's nothing anybody can publish that will have an ounce of effect with the outcome of politics. So maybe the the answer to that is that there are no such things as conservatives and and liberals, and it's more along the line of we're just puppets. Because if conservatives have that much money, mm-hmm. if they're that wealthy, they should be able to put something together even bigger than Facebook or bigger than than Instagram or whatever the case may be. Why aren't they doing it? You tell me. Because because the cloud systems that actually. Uh, Part of the reason is the cloud system or the hosting companies that actually host. Uh, you know what hosting companies? Yeah, yeah, of course. The, the largest one is Amazon, AWS, I right. think is the name of it, right? So that guy can just pull the plug anytime he wants. Then you start your own uh, server. So nobody's done that. Yeah, why not? I don't know. That's a great question. I've been huh? wanting. That's why. I mean, that's <laughs> what. That's what. If if I can get Global Peace International to grow enough, I would definitely have our own server and start making some sort of parallel internet. Even your server is ultimately controlled by somebody. Well, not if you can start to create Unless you a parallel make, you internet. Unless you put up your own satellites. Yep, absolutely. That, now you're talking about... I billions mean, and billions look, of Look, I, I hope you can accomplish it. All I'm saying is... All right, so if they gave you the $2 trillion we wasted in Afghanistan, you might have been able to do it, basically. Right? <laughs> well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we can't raise... We still the, can't raise $2 trillion. 
Okay, a simple question. Do you, well, we could just put in a great new deal. These mandates that we're dealing with, do you wear a mask in public? Yes, I do. You, why? I wear a mask because I want to protect. I don't want to get sick, uh-huh. okay? Even though I have a strong immune system, I don't want to have to deal with it. I have elderly parents who are vulnerable, and I take care of them. So I have to take every precaution I can to make sure that I don't get sick. Because who told you so? Because I I know people that have gotten sick. I've know people that have died from it. We have relatives that have died from it, mm-hmm. and not from pre-existing conditions necessarily, but from respiratory issues. From respiratory. And they're not doing things like, for instance, there's a procedure which, if I had known about it, maybe we could have saved a couple relatives. When you when if it's truly coronavirus, they're in South Africa. They develop a procedure where they actually go in and they remove the mucus plugs. Have you seen this? No. Okay, so basically what happens is when you get corona, the real corona, the respiratory issues, your airway starts to get blocked. So they're pushing pushing down a tube to put a respirator in. Well, what this guy found, and it's a, a, um, a doctor in South Africa. You can look it up on the Internet. I don't remember his name right now. And he's a young guy. He was from Kenya originally. He escaped mm-hmm. as a 16-year-old, went through slavery, whatever. He became a doctor. He, contrary to what the World Health Organization's uh, recommendations of not doing, he did. And he was able to go down there with some sort of scope, and he was removing the mucus plugs, and people were recovering from real so coronavirus. doing that here? Because you can save lives that way. Mm. Why would we want to save lives, Armand? What kind of question is that, bro? Yeah, but there's actually a study. He did a full study. I think it's even peer-reviewed. It's out there. You can find it on the Internet. I'm going to look into it. Yeah, that. look into it. That's one of the few things I haven't heard of. But, yeah, so basically that's what the the respiratory infection does is it causes mucus to build up, and then the mucus builds up, and it becomes these things called mucus plugs. Guys, and there's let's a wind r- this down because we're past two hours. We need to get wrap things up for the mm-hmm. night. Let's have, like, last words and call it a night. For Can we day. give Paul the mic definitely, for a few minutes? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know, Paul. I don't know if I want to give you the mic. I'm not done. Let's talk about this book I a could, little bit. See, I could fix oh, by the way. See, that's how you <laughs> fix the problem. <laughs> anyway, so as I, as I was saying. Anyway, but just, just, just one cheap plug here. For anybody that wants more information about this book, um, on my actually, there's an electronic version it's a little cumbersome to use but it's there so you can actually read it for free also though you probably want to buy a copy from abril bookstore in glendale because arno's a cool guy and we should really support bookstores and and publishers don't um, support jeff bezos support but if them. you go to www.ara2020.com that was my site that i used when i was running for congress and under experience at the very bottom is an electronic version of the book that you can read um, and you can also find uh, our video presentation on YouTube when we presented the book back in 2019. Very well. Paul, what do you think? How do you think we can build back better, as our current president says? Build here? Or yeah, yeah build here. <laughs> build back better. How about, how about we let you... Or, uh, Paul, okay. how about you answer no. build back how, better how, Armenia and... US. How about you let him talk? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, guys, two questions and stuff. what I was imagining i was going to have um as as being part of the podcast it was all had to do with 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 armenia and obviously um you know here's my two cents okay 
First of all, all all of us have to unite. This is a word that everybody has said. Not too many people are practicing, but they always use that whenever they have had two or three shots of vodka. They're all reuniting. After the sixth shot, they're drinking all the shot. All the uh, things, toasts are about all the rivers flowing in Armenia, all the mountains, all the rocks. And the soldiers. But all, and the soldiers. But here's the reality. Let's... Let's focus on first the very, very, very simple and basic things. Okay, we have to stand behind our government. Okay, no matter who the government is, may change. We have to stand behind them a hundred percent. So, if you and the reason that I'm giving you this example, yete hishumek nastech chosmer poker bushimasin. Մարտիկ որոնք որ հակառակն են այդ նախագահին, չէ՞։ Հիմա մեր ազգի մոտ կա ցավոք սրտի սենց մի բան, որ գալիս են, կանգնում են միատ վիճակի, եթե նույնիսկ այսօր կլնի թուրքը կամ չգիտեմ, ով այն մարտիկ ովքեր համոզվել են, որ պետի անպայման այս ղեկավարությանը հանեն։ Եթե նույնիսկ թուրքը գամես կոկնի հանեք ռադարեք։ Մարտիկ ովքեր որ գնացել են պայքարելու հայրենիքի համար, ես լրիվ հաուրտոկոս համոզված եմ, որ արթարա եղել սասնածրերի շարժումը լրիվ հաուրտոկոս համոզվածը եղել տասվեստվի իրանց շարժում եղել է արթար շարժում որտեվ իրանքել են հոտա առածեղել զգացածեղել որ այն նախկինները արդեն հասցրել էին միտեղ դանակը ոսկորներ հասել դրա մա իրանք այդ պայքարը պիտի անեին բայց երբ որ այդ նույն մարտիկ այսօր խոսում են ասում են որ պետ կլնի զենքովել կվերացնենք սրան կառավարությանը եւ այլն եւ այլն այդի ուժ չի տալիս այդ կառավարությանը այդ թույլացնում է կառավարության եւ հետո ուրիշ երկրի ղեկավարներին լեզու է տալիս որ կարան մեզ քանդեն այդ լեզվականության կողքին պետքալնենք մեկ մեր ազգի մեջ բաժանություններ չպետք է լինի բաժանությունները որնա որեսօր կուսակցություններ ավանդական 120 տարվա կուսակցություններ եւ այլն եւ այլն իրանց մեջից ունենում են երկուսություն այդի ինչից է գալի արտակին ինչ որ ուժերից մենք անընդհատ what party do we have like արկեք չգնանք մարամասը երեկեք ուղեղով մտածենք որ մեզի ինչը պետք չի Են որ մի բան համահայկական է կոչվում, մենք չպետք է որևէ մեկս, որևէ համահայկական գաղափարախոսության փորձենք ոտնահարենք։ Եվ պատճառը որ չպետք անենք, որովհետև եթե մենք այսօր ուզենք ամեն ինչը ադիթանել տանք, կփակվի մեր կազմակերպությունը։ Որովհետև այդ կազմակերպության նպատակը չգնամ էլ պատճառների ինչի համար, որտեվ գիտեք այդ ադիթանողները լրիվս հասկանում ենք, ինչի համար է օկտագորցվել ոնց է եղել, ինչ է եղել։ բացի դրանից այսօր հայ մարտիկ նստած են իրանց տներից այս անտերու կեսով ձեռները բռնած ամազոնով իրանց օրդերները եւ այլն աշտեմ ես ցեղակրոն եմ ես պաշտում եմ ես պաշտում եմ քեզ որպես հայ դրա համար ասենք ոնց որ հայ մյուս մարտիկ գնում են եկեղեցին հայոյանք չեն տալիս չեն դավաճանում օրը դա եկեղեցու աստված կպատժի իմ համար էլ իմ աստվածները հայկական են bayarminian.com այսօր հարթակ է ստեղծվել որ կարող են առևտուր իմ ընտանիքը իմ կինի իմ երեխեքը առևտուր անում հայաստանից եթե մենք չենք ուզում հայաստանում արտագաղթը շատանա գնալով վատանա խոսկերով չիլնի այդի անել մենակ կլնի այդի անել երբ որ մենք ընդեղ առևտուրը կմեծացնենք մենք դրա կարիք ունենք ես բաժակ կպտիառնենք եսի պտիառնենք հիմա մարտիկ երբ որ սովորել են էսենս բաներից օկտվելու եւ պետք է ինձ օրդեր անեն թողան են բացի դրանից երբ որ այսօր գնում ես դու օրինակ Amazonով առևտուր ես անում լիքը մարտիկ չգիտեն որընդեի իրա բարեգործական բաժին ունի որ կարանվիրատվություն անի չէ ինքը ասում է որն է ցնտրելու ես վստահ եմ եթե նայում եք այդ թվերը հայաստանինը 
ինչ-որ տալիս են ասենք հայկական ֆաունդեյշնի բարեգործականի կամ ինչ բանի հայկական սենթերը բայց ինչքան հայ առավ դուրանում է որ այսինքն հայ լինելու տարժեք ինչ է օրվա մեջից այդ քանի ռոպեն կամ քանի ժամը քանի վարկյանը կարաստրամադրես քո հայ լինելուն օկուտ տալու չեն անում ուրիշները մտ չնչին գումարա կազմում բայց վստահեն որ ամեն մեկս որպես տղամարդ եթե նստենք ես որ ասենք որ գնում ենք տուն մեր տունը դրի դիմացը միշտ բաքսերով ամսանի հապրանք հեկել բոլորի ընտանիքները այդ առավ դուրը անում են չէ օքե հիմա եթե մենք նույնիսկ եթե օկտագորձ մեկ որտեղ ամեն ինչ չի որ բայարմինինի վրա կարող է լինի կարող է մի բան էր առնելու եք ամսանից չգիտեմ կահույք է կառնում ես իմ ինչ է կառնում եւ այլն են գոնե այդ ժամանակ այսին մտածեք ամեն ձերք հայ լանելուց մտածեք ազգանը պաստ ազգոքուտ բան ո՞նց կարանք մենք անենք բիզնեսներից օկտվելը ես գիտեք այսօր գիտեմ որ բենզինը արժեքները գազի շատա չէ բարձացել բոլորիս համար վնասա գիտեմ որ մեկա կարգադրում են իմ այս այս գներով որտեսի հիմարություն առաջին է կալիֆորնիան իր հակար արդեն թեքսեր ունի եւ այլն որ կողքի նահանգում 2 դոլար 23 սենտա մեր մոտ 5 դոլար 20 սենտա մեկա սենց թենց կարգադրվում եմ գոնե այդամ թող այդ կարգադրված prices being very high right now did you know that underneath california right off the coast actually on the coast on in under beverly hills in this area we have 20 times more oil that's accessible now than was before due to technology than Saudi Arabia has and we don't to uh, regulations regulations yep but we could actually there was a project in Carson environmental Calif- Carson <laughs> California had a project it was by Occidental Petroleum and they were doing sideways drilling i know about fracking? this because i'm in the no it wasn't fracking it was side they have drilling that goes sideways and i i do work i'm in the security industry so i do surveillance systems and access control and so on i'm licensed for that and geologist that was on there told a buddy of mine that worked for Samsung that we have under California 20 times more oil than Saudi Arabia and if we tapped into that we wouldn't have to bring oil from the Middle East we wouldn't have to have Bro, wars Al- for oil Alaska's enough to last you hundreds yeah. of years but basically like Paul was saying there are people out there that are controlling you know what's going on it is very artificial it's very it's created people need to understand that can change very quickly if people want to see things change and again it comes back to even what paul was saying whether it's the armenians or anybody else is being unified and is being you know going towards this one goal going towards a goal and i go back to world peace you know global peace international we're going to try to make something like that happen because if we don't try and we can't prove that it's not going to work then we're never going to know so verchin khoskes vor menk ete karoganank mer hamar skzbunk dartsnenk mer haylinele vorpes arjek menk uremen hnaravorutyun unenk apagayum mi bani hasnelu ete mer mech skzbunk hainchi menak zgatsakana logic hanatsa tramabanutyuna hanatsa menak zgatsmunkterov enk ashkhatum menk karravarvenk minchev kkortsanvenk uy shat motike այդ միշտ մոտիկ ենք եղել այսինքն այս հիմա ինչ որ մենք տեսնում ենք խոսում ենք սրանից 200 տարի առաջել 700 տարի առաջել 800 տարի առաջել այս հիմա ինչ որ կատարվում է նոր նորմալ կոչվածը էլի բսեյով ագրվում այդ նույն բսեն 2000 տարի առաջելա եղել այդ նույն խոսակցությունը որ առա տենաստանս բանը նորմալա եւ այլն եւ այլն ասա հա բայց վստահես հավատում ես եւ այլն հասկանում էս նույն բաները խոսակցները մեր պապերի 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 պապերն էլ են ունեցել այս նույն խոսակցություն մինչև արդեն մտել են այդ բանի մեջ ոչ են կարացել դուրս կան 
Բայց հիմա մենք դրանով չենք կարող մա սիրում եմ կարդալ պատմություն, որտեվ եթե չի մանաս անցալիտ մասին, դու չեր, երբեք չես կո արմատները ճանաչի, իսկ որ արմատը տկարծ առալի, մի հատ քամ եղավ կեթա։ Բայց ես չեմ էլ ուզում այդ մեկին, որ ուզեմ ներկացնեմ ես ով եմ, ասեմ առնայս տեղլը, այս իմ տեսնում ես, այս պատենտները, առայ ես ես ազգից եմ, դու ուր ես եք էլ ինձ ասում, որ մեր ազգը վրադների, այս իմ ինչերի դուղով պատմությունը, հնությունը եվ այլին, եվ այլին, եվ այլին, ընդհարապես իրանից ինչ աներկացում, եթե մեր է, բետ մենք եթե մեր մեջ այդ արժեքը չունենք, չգիտենք, որտև ինձ հետակ կիրչի, որ արմոնդին Մե ադ լավ ընգեր ունեմ ջորդնա ունը, ես իմ ինչ, ինքը տենց պաշտոնական բանը, կամ գիտելիքների առումով, կարողա ես նստեմ, որպես մասնագետ, իմ ոլորդի մեջ, ապավագրություն, վինասական պլանավորում եվ Արա դետի են տղեն, չի են, որ տելևիզրով խոսում են։ Արա, տատս շատ ասիրում դրան, բայց դա, բայց ինքը չի էլ լսել ընդհարապես։ Բայց, եթե խոսկյորնակ գալիս անստում ամի ատ մեկը ոտար Շողովուրդ եկեք մենք մեզ պաշտենք, եկեք մենք մեզ հասկանանք, եկեք մենք մեզ գնահատենք, մեր ժամը դնենք, տրամադրենք, որ իրիկում որ գնան, են մեկը ուրիշ կողմի ես միսը, բայց գիտեք ինչ որվա վերջում, Եթե ինքը պտի շահեն նատալին իհարկ է 20 տարեկանում գնացելա յոզղատ, իրա վրեժը լուծելա, այդ ընտանիքին է տունը մտելա, որտեղ որ իրա տունը էղել, իրա ծնորերի ասելա, պապական տունը, մակուրդուրկերեն կնունք ծնունդ եսքան մարդ, տղամ մարդ, կանի հատ տղամ մարդ ունեք, որ կո նույն ազգանունից տա, որ ես որ ողջ է, 32 տղամ մարդ, շատ են էրեխա ունեց է, 32 տղամ մարդ են վերացրել, գլուխները կտրել են, գնացել այն պապին ոչ թե նրամար, որ ինքի ինձ շատ ասիրել, ինքի ինձի մեծացրել, ինքի ինձի մերեխա ժամանակս դաստիրակություն ատվել, ոչ, որտև ես էլ որ չլնեմ, այդ այրունը չպիտի չորանա, պտի անընթատ գնա երակների մեջով, անընթատ սերունդ 
բայց մենք այդ տիպի դասերակ ենք որ ես ասեմ ես ու արան իրարից չենք տարբերվում ես ու էդգարը չենք ես ու արմոնդը մենք ունեցունով տարբեր ուժով բայց մի հատ ծրագրի համար ուտեղ մենք հաղթենք արդեն բայց ու սերգեր թաստանը արեկելյանները ասկերան շրջանից կա արեկաններ արեկելյանը չի եղել մամայի կողմի չէ բայց ես հարցում արեկելյաններու մասին ունեք արցախի մեջ ասկերան շրջանից չեմ կարծում ոքե որտե մենք ունենք մեր մեր ընտանիք մեջ արեկելյաններ կան որ պսակ դերեն մերոն եղելեն ռոդոստո թուրքիայից արամտյան հայաստանից թեկիր տաղ ռոդոստո ատեղից են եղել ջարդի ժամանակ փախել են բուլղարիա բուլղարիայից խորեղբայները են ծնվել մեծ մամաս հղի է եղել որ 47-ին եկել են հայաստան հայրիկը զնդեղ է ծնվել բայց հիմա տես ճակատագիրի ինչ է նրանք արամտյան հայաստան հետո բուլղարիա հորեղբայներս նույն ընտանիքն ենք չէ հորեղբայներս ծնվել են ընդեղ եւ այս խնդիրները մեր բոլոր հասկանալով մենք մի վարկյան անգամ հայի վրա մատ չենք կարա թապտանք ու մնաց որ մարտիկ մտածեին ես ու արամ տիկանք վիճենք իրարը նո ա ուս տելինգ ա ուս տելինգ արմոնդ դիս իս գոնա բի մոր օֆ ան ագրիմենտ հիմա մի հատ ասեմ մի բան ա մեն ա ստադիդ հիմ ան գո ուեյթ մինիտ ուի սի պրետի մաչ էվրիթինգ դի սեմ ուեյ հիմա մի հատ մի բան ասեմ դես երեխեք իմ պապիկս երեք տարեկան մատղա փոքր երեխա մենականին ավետիս եղոսանա մինասյաների ամուսնության 50 ամյակը 50 հատ երեխայով թորով ծորով փես հիմա ինչ եմ ուզում ասեմ այսօրվա մեր կորուստը որ անցյալ տարի մենք տվեցինք շատ մեծ 5000-ը եթե դու բազա պատկերացնես ամեն մի ծիլը հայ ինչ արժի կարար սարքեր ինչ մեր կորցրած ուղակի երեխա դրա համար մենք այսօր մեր նվիրվածությունը մենք այսօր մեր ճշտապահը կախված մենք դի դրան ավելի մեծ տեղտանք ու արժեք քան որևէ մի ուրիշ բանի մեր կյանքում ես համոզված եմ այդ համոզմունքով ապրում եմ գործերս լավա բիզնեսմեն եմ եւ այլևան ինձի ճանաչում եք դուք արդեն այս քաղաքում ես բայց այդ ոչ մի բան չի փոխում ինչ ունեմ ինչ չունեմ կարողություն երբ ոչ մի բանով ինձ չի ավելացնում այն գաղափարը որ իմ գլխի մեջ քնելուցս մտածում եմ այդ 5000 երեխեն այդ այն ժամանակ էս պապիկը սերմենակ մնաց է որ պապի իսպես մեկ ու կես միլիոնը 50-50-ով 30-ով 30-ով բերեին այսօր մենք ուր կլինենք եղբայր մենք շատ ենք հետ ընկել մենք շատ բան ունենք անելու մենք ժամանակ չունենք իրար միս ուտելու այո սո դրա համար իմ հարգանքս իմ սերս բոլորին մեր ազգի եւ նվիրվենք իրար աշնուն ունենանք որտեղ տնտեսությունները բոլորը թելերից են կախված մեկը ստակ մարկետներ կան եւ այլն մի քճառաճ ապրանքից բանից էինք խոսում մանուֆակչերինգից ասում ենք որ ինչի ստեղ չեն արտադրում որտեղ ստեղ որ արտադրեն շատ որակով կլինի ապրանքը այդ որակով ապրանք իրանց ձեր չի տա որ քիչ լինի այդ ապրանքից իրանց պետք է միշտ արտադրվի որ ստակները բարձրանա սո անվորակ ապրանքը պետք իսկ անվորակ ապրանքի ամենակարևոր հայրենիքը չինաստանն է որ բերան անընդհատ փչանա բայց դրա ստակները կա փչանում էլի արտադրեք էլի արտադրեք էլի արտադրեք Okay, չում դու ինձնից ես օգտվում արմոն ես արմոնդից եմ գնում օգտվում իրա բիզնեսներից մեր ընտանիքներ եւ այլն եւ այլն մենք միշտ պահում ենք մեր մեջ ինչ որ մի բան որը գնալով հզորանման մեր երեխեկնելը տիտանալով այդ են սովորելու դաստիարակություն երբեք խոսկերով կենացներով բենացներով չի քո երեխեն տենում է դու ո՞նց ես ապրում քո կյանքը որն է գտնում որ ճիշտ է թե քո ծնողի թարգանքը թե տատիի պապիի թե ո՞նց ես վերաբերվել թե կնոջը թե ոնց ես վերաբերվում թե հարևանների թե ոնց ես հարևանների թե իրա հետ եւ այլնվեն ինքն էլ տենց ամտածնած ուր ես է ճիշտը ուրիշ ձևի չես կարա դաստիարակես շատ ճիշտ ես դե 
Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you, you everyone, Thank for, you for tuning in tonight. Uh, I think it was educational, informative. Um, we as Edgar said, as okay. usual, when we have debates, we, we think it's going to be, uh, I don't want to call it a bloodbath, but it's going to, but, but it, it, the guests end up agreeing more than disagreeing with one another. That's been the case. <laughs> that's usually the case with us. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad that's the case because. Like Paul said, we all have one common goal, guys. We need to support one another. Now, social media is being used against us to divide us. We need to see through that shadow. We need to see through it and understand when you make comments, another Armenian. Well, I would I would go further than that and say don't use foul language at all. It doesn't help. It doesn't it's just bad make, energy, you know. Yeah. It is definitely. Well, I appreciate both of you for the second one coming out and Paul, with your endeavors in your line of work as well. Thank you, brother. Fast, I know you're very much involved with Armen Orojian and Fast. So, uh, to all our viewers tonight, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the comments and questions. I know we may not have gotten to a lot of it because we, you know, we were bounced around. Yeah, bounced around a lot of different topics. But um, we wish you guys a uh, wonderful week. Once again, happy birthday to Eileen and Maya.